Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and we are talking about an issue of Warlock. Well, the last issue of Warlock, actually. So to have here one more time, well, there'll be more times, but don't worry. But one more time, we got John Wilson back. Yay! Yay, John! Yeah, this is um, this is the last, like, Warlock issue for a really long time, at least one that has new content. Yeah, and one that's mainly just about him. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have a Warlock miniseries, I think around 2000, the one by Greg Pak. But otherwise, it's always him part of the team, whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy or Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Right, and there's the Warlock reprint series and the Warlock from the New Mutants series, but neither one of those is is new Adam Warlock stuff. No. So, yeah, this is the last Warlock issue um, for the, like... <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be much different ages if we ever get around to the one from Greg Pak. Yes, yes, that's gonna take a while, but that's okay. It's all about the journey and the dream. Yes, the dream. Even though you can never go home again. Well, okay, so it's weird, right? Well, we haven't even talked about the issue yet, but yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the issue. Yep. Okay, so before we get to the issue and before we do the synopsis, I was oh, looking... Yeah, yeah, you, you got special things this time. Yeah, I got, I got actually information. So I was looking through Back Issue Magazine, which if you are into this kind of stuff with comics, you should really look at the different publications that Tomorrow's Press does. Uh, they have Alter Ego, which is usually more about Golden and Silver Age, and Back Issue, which is about Bronze Age and the 80s. And sometimes the 90s. And in an issue of Back Issue, number 34, in fact, there was, uh, it has Warlock on the cover. So, of course, that attracted my eye. And there's an article uh, written by, actually, I was surprised by it, because I, the name, because I follow this person on Twitter, Karen Walker, called The Life and Death and Life and Death of Adam Warlock. And it was a, just an overview of the series, but there was a couple things in there that I either didn't know or I think we missed. So I just okay. figured before we get to issue 15... Let's talk about this stuff from everything else before. Well, I figure if we if we can't get like a major professional interview, the next best thing is to read somebody else's interview. Exactly. So, first of all, now, we knew about the original series of Warlock when Roy Thomas did it, inspired by Jesus Christ Superstar. But going up with the Jesus Christ Superstar thing, we didn't pick up on this. The name of the president, Rex Carpenter. Oh, Rex okay. meaning king. Uh-huh. Carpenter alluding to Jesus. I feel like we did catch that because that sounds familiar. I but... don't I mean that felt like a surprise to me, but it's been a while, so maybe we did. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um yeah, Rex being king and Jesus was a carpenter. Yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar, but it's not something I would have been able to tell you off the top of my head. Yeah. Um they also she also mentioned in the article with that last, with their version of the Last Supper from that issue, the Hulk is Judas. I forget if we realize that or not, but just I don't think case. we did. Yeah. Now, when Warlock is crucified, he's he's on front of an Ankh cross hybrid. That's going to come back in a little bit. So just remember that. No, it's not really a whole interview. It's just you know, but there are bits of uh, quotes from Starlin. Mm-hmm. So apparently, he had quit Marvel. 
because of a dispute with Captain Marvel, which is why issue 34 is his last issue. Wasn't that he was planning on leave, uh, ending with that issue? He just quit. He came back, and that's when he started doing Warlock. So that was the first time Starlin left Marvel. But when he did the Warlock story, the whole mega story, do you know what that was based on initially? Um, I mean, like the Magus and the Church of Universal Truth and all that? Yeah. What was that? The initial uh, spark for the story was the Wizard of Oz. What? Quote from Starlin. This was one of the least planned out stories that I ever did. When I started off, my first thought was to just do Wizard of Oz. The Magus and the Big Head. You know, I mean, it was definitely straight out of the Wizard of Oz. It just sort of developed into the religious story. Huh. Think about it. The first time we see the Magus, it's like a Wizard of Oz, like, uh, projection. Right. I had to feel. I have to think that the Wizard of Oz thing, like, may have been where his mind started with the story, but it's not where the story starts. No, but I mean that was the initial spark for the story. Okay. It wasn't about what the story became, but that's what started the story. Okay, well that's cool. You know, I guess it started with that image, and then working out, well, what's this image going to be? It's going to be like the new god. Yeah. Not so those new gods. No. And this is also Starlin talking about making the gem the sentient vampire entity. Basically to illustrate that you don't always have control over your own life, no matter how sharp you think you are. That was basically Warlock's darker side coming out on him. Not that he had all that bright a side to him. Okay, and we're going to talk about more of that with the current issue, because that comes exactly. out into sharp relief today. But I was just thinking about that when I was reading the issue, that like, okay... So the soul gem going forward is basically like this mystical realm of paradise and happiness. Not so much in 1976. No, but in 77 it would be for a while. But I guess that kind of goes with what they've been doing in Infinity Countdown and Infinity Wars, where it is a trap, basically. Okay, they, so they brought that idea back. Yeah. I've not been reading Modern Warlock. Yeah, we've been, my brother and I have been covering Infinity Countdown. Right, on the show, yeah. I just haven't read it yet. Yeah. Now, um, the costume change, remember when he had, because originally he has that, like, Captain Marvel-inspired lightning bolt on his outfit. Mm-hmm. The reason for the costume change? Starlin, at the time, did not like drawing the lightning bolt and could never get it right. <laughs> he so hated give him it. a cloak instead? <laughs> exactly. And to be fair, a bunch of we did comment a lot of times in different issues how that always looked wrong. I know, especially in those Hulk issues, it looked a lot pretty wrong a lot of times. Yeah, but he wasn't even drawing those. He just, I guess, when trying to draw it, began to hate it. I guess he wasn't the only one that had a problem with it. Yeah. Now, remember what I said before about Warlock was crucified in front of that Ankh cross hybrid, right? That's the same symbol for the Universal Church of Truth. That's the same thing they use. They use that on cross hybrid. Really? Yes. Now, I've never seen any story thing connecting the man beast and the church. It might have just been Starlin thinking it was a cool image and using it, but that's interesting. Well, it goes along with the metaphor, though, right? Because it like, does, I think. Jesus is crucified, and then that cross becomes the symbol of the church. It's a really creepy concept if you get down to the logic of it, but um, my murder but yeah, weapon is the my symbol. Yeah, not just a murder weapon, but like 
a genocidal extermination weapon. You well, know, it's a really weird thing people go around wearing on their necklaces. It'd be like if the Winter Soldier was wearing a little drone plane on his on his thing all the time, right? Ah, okay. Um, let's see, one or two more things. Yeah. Uh, so the thousand, the one thousand clown issue. Uh huh. There was one person who had the big, who had a real big problem with it. Roy Thomas, the one who came off the best at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. He could have had too big a problem with it because, well, he was not he was not a big wig at Marvel at the time, though, was he? I think he was the editor. Was he the editor on that book? I think and he so. didn't do his job because, I mean, oh, well, with that, he was always turning them notoriously late, right? He even said in there, yeah, that's one of the times when turning in late was beneficial. They didn't have time to have too many problems but yeah roy was the one who had the biggest problem with it apparently mostly because of the way either you know it was like felt like it was airing dirty laundry or and or treatment of other staffers mm-hmm. well he has a point that's exactly what he was doing yeah i can't much argue. dirty laundry was aired yeah although about that starlin says it wasn't so personal for him uh while well, friends of his might be getting pressure he wasn't getting a lot of pressure about his stories because he's, you know, he said Captain Marvel was canceled twice, and then he took it over, and it started having good sales. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of being left alone because, well, his stuff is selling. He was more taking uh, things that happened to other people. Yeah, sticking up for your friends is a good thing, though. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for the stuff that happens before. Everything else is about issue fifteen or the cancellation of the series. So we'll talk about that after we talk about the issue. Alrighty. So real quick, let me drop in synopsis and a promo, and then we'll be right back. Warlock number 15. Just a series of events. Editor, Archie Goodwin. Lettering, Tom Orshevsky. Coloring, Michelle Wolfman. Once again trapped into doing everything else, Jim Starlin. Cover dated November 1976. On sale, July 27th, 1976, with a cover price of 30 cents. You can find this reprinted in, among other places, I'm sure, Estrange Adventures, number 59. That's a French reprint from 1978. Star Wars Weekly, number 75. That's a UK reprint from 1979. Since I only reprinted a few pages of the story, it's probably the next few issues as well, but I can't really find descriptions of exactly how many issues of Star Wars Weekly covered this issue. I'd say at least 75 to 79, probably. David, do you know? <laughs> Warlock number four and five, which was a reprint series from 1983. Warlock number four and five, which was a reprint of the reprint series from 1992. Marvel Masterworks Warlock Volume 2 from 2009. Essential Warlock Volume 1 from 2012. Marvel Gold Warlock La Amenzia de Thanos. It's a Spanish reprint from 2012. Avengers First Thanos Trade Paperback from 2013. Warlock by Jim Starlin, The Complete Collection, from 2014. There's a Russian reprint from 2014, but the title's written in Cyrillic, so I have no chance of even saying it. If anyone knows who that is, what that is, or if you don't, but you can actually read Russian writing, Cyrillic, please look it up, find out what it is, what it's called, and tell me. I would love to be able to know what it's called. Marvel Go, La Saga de Thanos, Spanish reprint from 2018. And, of course, digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. 
The first of these series of events takes place in our solar system, as the gigantic phantom form of Adam Warlock rages against the fact that he, due to the time he spent in other galaxies, where, apparently, galactic expansion takes place at a faster rate than in our own, he has grown too large and ghost-like to return to either counter-Earth or regular Earth. Finally accepting, but not liking his situation, Adam leaves, looking for a new planet to call home. Meanwhile, at their home, the space arc Sanctuary 1, we find Gamora and Thanos. Thanos has been working on something for a while now, leaving Gamora with nothing to do but watch him. To alleviate her boredom and keep her from finding out his plans of total stellar genocide, Thanos has Gamora leave to find Warlock. He tells her that Adam will be useful to his future plans, and he needs her to make sure he doesn't get himself killed in the meantime. Speaking of Warlock, in his travels he comes across an old man being pulled out of his spaceship by three hulking brutes. Adam makes short work of the bullies and finds out they are trying to repossess the ship due to lack of payment. Of course, they were going to leave the old man in space to die. Adam makes sure the old timer is able to get back into his ship and leave, but warns him to secure the funds needed before this happens again. We check back in with Gamora on her search for Adam. After a short time, she is attacked by Drax the Destroyer, who destroys her ship. In the meantime, Adam has found a dead planet and is again lamenting his lot in life. There he impossibly, since it's a dead planet, meets what could only be a cousin of Yoda, who counsels him that life is its own purpose. Asking Adam, is it not enough purpose to exist and be a part of the all? Adam, however, wants more. He has no fear of death, but does not wish to be life's victim. The alien warns him, though, that he will be. In less than a year, he will die, at both Thanos and his own hands. Before that, he will see the deaths of Gamora and Pip, and he will be the cause of the death of the High Evolutionary. Before vanishing, he asks Adam if it's not time for him to look beyond the body, but to the spirit. The next in our series of events takes place on the planet Degenera, where Pip the Troll has been spending his time thieving. He is met by Constable Trueheart, who wants to talk to him about the series of robberies that happened to start at the same time he arrived. A shocked Pip points out all of the possible suspects in the area, while at the same time lifting the Constable's medals, belt, and other valuables. He then heads home to wash his bundle of dirty laundry, rings, and wallets. Realizing that wallets and rings are not actual washable items, the constable tries to head after him, but his lack of a belt causes his pants to fall down, giving Pip enough time to get away. Our final event is once again about Adam Warlock. He has found a secluded place to take Yoda's third cousin's advice and look to the spirit, or more specifically, the soul gem. He attempts to communicate with it, and the gem decides its best course of action is to take over Warlock's form for itself. They fight for control over his body, but Adam wins because he is willing to die if he can't be free. Since they are on a deserted planet, the gem was not willing to risk being abandoned there where there were no new souls to steal. As Adam says when he flies away, that is why you are destined to stay a cold, emotionless stone. That is why, good or bad, I shall always be Adam Warlock. Hi everybody, my name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week, we read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Corey comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Corey? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm. It is. So good. It is. Paradise. 
Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt fish. You have eaten none. <laughs> and beaver's butt fish. Pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us. Cowabunga. And we're right back. Hey, Adam. Not Adam. Al. Hey, Al. Yeah, Thanos. I mean, John. Um, hold on. I've almost got it right. Hold on. Uh, I'm sitting here eating dinner with these chopsticks while listening to that really awesome synopsis. <laughs> there you go. That That's my awesome rhyme for the day. Uh, much uh, love to the... Um, what is it called? The Teen Titans Wasteland and the Tighten Up the Defense. Tighten Up the Defense podcast. That's, that's the first yep. thing that popped in my head. Hi, Hub, if you're listening. If you are, I'm really sorry about what I left on your lawn the other day. <laughs> Anyways, so. Um, Anywho. <laughs> let's go on with. Uh, okay, so here's my first thing about this issue. The whole okay, we talked briefly about the whole expanding universe theory last time and how it this is not how that works. Yes, because really, what I mean, the expanding universe theory is basically built on the same concept. Well, okay, the actual expanding universe theory is based on the same concept as an explosion. There's a force, everything radiates outward, the universe is expanding because the big bang happened. Yes. Um, maybe all the forces that are slowly counteracting that, that expansion, such as gravity and stuff, will eventually cause it to collapse back in again. But for right now, everything's expanding. What the, um, the uh, idea here in this comic is that different areas of the universe are expanding at different rates, which would be like if there was a bomb explosion and then in the explosion, things started like exploding faster or slower within the smoke. And it just doesn't make any sense. So, in any case, Warlock's big now, right? Yes. Yeah. He and actually, I asked Blaine about that too. Yeah, he said, uh, "Is it? We know it's expanding the universe, but like he agrees with you. That doesn't necessarily mean atomic bonds will get longer and people get bigger. It may not be a completely uniform expansion. We can't tell yet. But even if it isn't, moving from one part to the other would subject you to subject you to the local laws of physics. So it might kill you." But it wouldn't turn you into a tangible giant. Right. And he interacts with other beings in this issue. Are they all, you know, abnormally large? Because that's a concept that almost never gets brought into sci-fi. The concept of, you know, scale of different planets being different. That's usually brought in as like a gimmick to a particular sci-fi story. But other than that, it's largely ignored. Well... Obviously, that he must have going by the way this issue's done. He must have went to another part of the galaxy where they are all that big. Although, here's a little treat. Here's a little preview for the future. In the Marvel two and one issues that feature that have her and Warlock in it, that's brought up, and and uh, someone gives an ex uh, an explanation. The Marvel two and one or the uh, Marvel team up. 
It's in, well, here's the thing. There is a three-issue thing of Marvel 2-in-1. I believe it's 60, 61, and 62. Okay? Uh-huh. Featuring the thing teaming up of Starhawk, her, and Adam Warlock. Moon Dragon's in it, too. It takes, it comes out in 1980. Warlocks are, you know, so, um, it's a sort of team-up of Warlock, because he's kind of taking a, lo- a brief nap. Right. But Sphinxor, remember Sphinxor? Yeah. He comes back in there. He's the one that does the explanation of, of this whole thing. Okay, I don't think I read those, because I don't, my understanding is that's not actually Adam Warlock, but it's like something, like, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't on my reading a list of appearances whenever I was reading through Warlock stuff. For now, we'll just go with Warlock is dropped. We'll just go with the story as it is until something else happens to contradict it. Sounds good. Yes. So, unfortunately, Warlock cannot go home again. Now, I'm glad they actually mentioned Counter-Earth because I feel like Starlin has kind of ignored that this entire time. Yeah, because he's going back to Earth, and that's where Star Thief was. Mm-hmm. And I also, I think I mentioned last time, and the last time, I think it would have made more sense if Starfief was from Counter-Earth. Because then there'd be no one else really to help but Warlock. Right. As opposed to, well, let's call Reed Richards. There are lots of, lots of different possibilities of how to deal with the situation there. But on Counter-Earth, you just have, you know. Yeah. And in fact, they don't even have a Reed Richards because about the same time as this one was coming, these issues were coming out. Fantastic Four, The Brute. A.K.A. Reed Richards of Counter-Earth, A.K.A. your favorite character, was, was joining the Frightful Four. Really? There's a lot of a lot of stuff out there I have not read. Yeah, because this is a bi-monthly book, so this is November 76. Uh, Fantastic Four 175 is October 76, and like 76, 176, 77, 78 is the Frightful Four with the brute joining. Okay. So he wasn't even on planet. Well, that explains why he didn't help out with the other guy. Yeah. Anyway, so Warlock, since he can't go to Counter-Earth, decides to fly back into space. A homeless myth, a homeless misfit who no longer belongs in this solar system. He was emo before emo started. (laughs) He's got like the hooded eyes that like the dark shadows all around his eyes. It's just like, wow, did you put that makeup on yourself, dude? He's like, no, I was born with this. <laughs> Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Emoline. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. And speaking of wandering the stars, we get to see Thanos and uh, Gamora again. Hey, now I was wondering, I, I meant to go back and look, but I didn't uh, think about it before I ran out of time. Do we know yet that she is Thanos' daughter? I don't think they've actually said daughter. But, I mean, we did learn from the mega story that he, with the whole thing of her origin, where he went to the future and then brought her back in time. Uh, okay, so And yeah. raised her. So, I mean, daughter, I don't, I don't know if the word daughter has ever been said. But the concept is there. Yes. Okay, so she calls Thanos master in this... Um, but they didn't use any other terms of affection. So I, just, I couldn't remember what we had covered yet and, and, and such. So um, he basically, she's bored because she's like, you know, this warrior woman and he is doing, you know, science. So yes. he basically gives her busy work to do to get out from under his feet 
while he pursues with the task of killing the entire universe. Yes, total stellar genocide. As so. you do. I mean, I, I I wonder about despots who want to kill the entire reality. Because reality is where I keep my stuff. And I just figure, like, what are you going to do with, like, what what do you gain by killing everything? Well, we know what Thanos wants. I mean, unfortunately, he actually is a person who actually could get, theoretically, could get what he wants by killing everything. They haven't brought in the death thing yet, though, have they? In Captain Marvel. Oh, that's right. Cosmic Cube. Now, she's not fully mentioned. At no point do I think they ever say she's called her death, but it is death. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's been a long time since I've read that Captain Marvel Thanos War story. It's still some really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But yeah, so oh. she goes to find Warlock because she's like, well, that's fun. She's like, I like Warlock. He's he's interesting. He's, he's, a, a, he's a mystery. Wrapped in an enigma. Yes. I have to wonder, is that one of the first times that phrase has been used? Because I've seen that phrase a lot in comics, but mostly from like the 80s on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if she's referencing like some pop culture piece of literature or what. Well, Whenever I think of the word mystery, I think of Captain Kirk. He's like, um, what does he say? He's like, I don't like mysteries. They give me a bellyache and I've got a beauty right now. <laughs> I think of the elongated man. His nose twitches when he has it. Smells a mystery. <laughs> I am picturing the guy from The Flash. That could work. I think they've made his nose twitch with mysteries, but I'm not sure. Yeah, well, he's such a perfect casting for that character, too. Oh, he's great as Ralph. I mean, I'm back. To, I haven't watched any of the episodes since uh, the crossover. Mm-hmm. I'm working on catching up on Supergirl right now. I'm almost done with season three. Sweet. And then I'll catch up with those. But yeah, so I think of him. But yeah, hey, if you're listening, if you know of this, let us know. Right in. If you know, like, no, this is an old phrase. I've seen this in comics or in pop culture years before. Or could this be one of the first times it's used? Um, so then we get one of his first encounters with other people. Little old man in a car getting repossessed. Basically, and yes. So according to the according to the plot as established, this little old man and these like alien corporate bankers must all be giant sized as well. Yes. If they came to Earth. Well, giant sized in comparison to Earth, yes. Yes. If out there in space they're just average size. But yeah, the guy wants to repossess the guy's car or spaceship because he hasn't paid. But it's like and he just kind of, quote unquote, leave him on the side of the road. Except, of course, there is no road. It's the middle of space and he would die eventually. Very because, quickly. Yeah. Well, as soon as his air runs out. People are not made to live in space. Yeah. Except for Adam. Right. Because he knows he never needs a spacesuit. Nope. And I was thinking about this now. Because the way this this whole little sequence ends with his little uh, little soliloquy, you know, with never again will the stars shine as brightly for me. Mm-hmm. Now, not to throw shade on those people, because I think it's a different matter of where they are, where this person is in his craft at this point in his time as opposed to where they were. But I've been catching up on one of your shows, All the Pouches, an Image Comics po- podcast. Okay. Go check the go check the show notes for a link, people. And it was episode 12, because I'm way behind. You're talking about one of the ext- image extras, or extra image. 
the little like three or four page stories they had in the back of some of the early issues. Right, right. And you're saying how like some of them, I think it was the Infinity Story. You said like you read like three or four parts already, and you don't feel like you have anything there yet. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like this would been a this is like a perfect three page story. Right. I mean, at first I thought this is like a Marvel Comics Presents story, and then I realized no, it's not even because Marvel Comics Presents stories are at least eight pages. This is basically like three or four. If you needed to fill the last few pages of a comic, like, you know, doing something like the the Logan's Run Thanos story or something like that, this is the perfect little short story to squeeze into the back end of a comic. Exactly. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, and it's only like three or four pages. Not even full pages. Right. So, like I said, not making, you know, insulting those people, because one thing... You know, some of them got better. A lot of them did get better in their craft. They just weren't as progressed in their craft as Starlin was at this point. Mm -hmm. But this is how you do a story in three pages. It is, definitely. Because it's a nice little story where Warlock's like, "Uh, yeah, tell you what. He's going to be able to go and find a planet buddy and get yourself some money. Because they're not going to follow you, right? (laughs) And the guy's like, nope, not at all. Now, it's been a while since I read that, read uh, Dark Phoenix Saga. Is this one of the Broccoli people? I was thinking the same thing. It looks like them, but yeah, it might be. Because they're not dead yet. No. It's 1976. The the relaunch of X-Men is barely underway right now. And even so, if he's out in space doing stuff, doesn't mean he was going to die. Just the people on the planet. Right. Then it brings back the whole like difference in in size thing because those people are Earth human sized. So one of the things I like about this is that he doesn't invalidate the guy's need to pay. The guy does need to pay them. He owes them money. Their yeah. claim is valid. And I think if they had said we're going to drop him off somewhere at the first right. thing the planet we passed, we're going to drop him off. Adam probably would have let it go. Because that's a humane way of, of, you know, recovering your property. Yeah. It's when you get into inhumane ways of settling your disputes, that's when people are going to have problems. Yeah. Repossessing a car when someone's at work or at home is one thing. Mm -hmm. Repossessing it when they're driving through the desert or repossessing a boat (laughs) when they're out in the middle of the ocean. Those are not, not okay. Yeah. That's a different story. And that's what Adam has a problem with. So I really like his um, his really menacing glowiness there when he's um, uh, intimidating the guy right before the story ends. It's pretty great. Yeah. Oh, the, th- the top page where he's crushing the gun? Um, two rows down from that. Oh, with all like the lines of energy coming out of the, the gem. Yeah. Yeah, in, in my digital version, that's his hair is all green, the, the lightning's all green, his face is heavily shadowed. Um, yeah. So just the light effect is on that is really cool. Then we get like tidbits of what would have been the continuing plots of this series. Yes. Yes, we have Drax, because Gamora's flying, and then Drax finds her. Because as we know, Drax hates Thanos a yes. lot. So much that 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 flames flames on the sides of his face breathing breath heaving breaths i'm sorry okay go ahead clue reference over 
Oh, I'm fine with that. Are you kidding? I love Clue. Clue's fact, the good stuff. In fact, we need to have the real thing right here. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. <laughs> I saw, I've watched that movie so many times. Yep. My wife hates that part. You know the story behind that scene, right? No. She dried on her lines. Oh. The, the Miss White actress? Yes. She dried up, and so all of that is, like, improv And so you're getting all of their reactions to her just, like, making up shit. And that's why Tim Curry just kind of, like, dives in. And they, anyways, keeping the scenes going. <laughs> Madeline Kahn. Yes. That's her name. So, yes, so Drax hates Thanos. And as he yells... Gamora, thrall of Thanos, I have come for you. And basically rams her ship. And that's the last we see of Gamora in this series. Yeah. We will not see Gamora again until the Avengers annual. Mm-hmm. And then she's fine, and she's, like, trying to get um, Warlock to wake up or something. I forget exactly how that scene works out. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll talk about it when we get to that part. But yeah, and that's it for Gamora and Drax in this issue. It's a nice hint of stuff to come because, I mean, obviously these concepts are going to come up in later treatments of of Warlock um, and Thanos and Drax. I mean, this idea is not going anywhere, but he was going to do more with it now. Yes. What he was going to do and how he was going to do it, we will not know. No. Now, going back to that back issue article, Starlin did say he did have a bit of a destroyer-Warlock battle drawn already. Oh. If that continued. But I didn't. And now we go back to our main character, Adam. He is on a, apparently a rogue planet that somehow left its orbit and is just traveling randomly through space. You know, if you have a, uh, a really extensive cataclysmic war between um, races of giant robots, that can happen. There you That's go. What happened. That's what happened to Cybertron. Oh, really? In the comics, yeah. Their, oh, yeah. The, 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 the force of their war knocked it out of its orbit and it went traveling through space, when, um, which is how it ended up near Earth. And they go through our asteroid belt. And so whenever the Autobots fly out to clear out the asteroids, Decepticons uh, mess with them, they're right by Earth. And that's where they crash land and Cybertron just keeps on going. Which Transformer series is this? The original the Marvel origi- one? Original Marvel, yep. Okay. It's been a long time since I read those early issues. I've been reading it for my upcoming TFUK podcast. Uh, what you say? <laughs> I've been playing with the name. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the name is gonna be. I had an idea for the name, but it doesn't really flow very well in the actual podcast. It might just be the TFUK podcast. Because that's original. Yeah. Well, it works out. It works, I still think. But yeah, th- this thing made me think of ego, except not being uh, sentient. Okay, yeah. But either way, it is a dead world. Because obviously any life that was on there would have died out without atmosphere, probably, or sun. Mm-hmm. And so Adam's here to soloclize. As you do. I mean, he's he's in angsty, emotional agony. He doesn't know what to do with his life. And... Happily, 
there is a old wise dude here to tell him everything he's supposed to do with his life. Yes. Although I love Adam's line here. Perhaps I should find some cause to champion, except I become too cynical of late to believe in anything. It's difficult to stand up for apathy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And basically, then he, like that. Basically, he's told, "Get your head out of your ass." Then, right? I love this little guy. Yeah, perhaps you should try looking past yourself. And he meets his version of Yoda. It is Yoda. It's Yoda before Yoda. He's even blue. Yeah, this little blue, wizened-looking alien creature drops some truth on Adam. Was George Lucas reading Starlin? Might have been. We know he was reading Fantastic Four. Because that Empire Strikes Back dinner scene at the end is very Doctor Doom. Oh, yeah. It's like right out of a specific scene in a specific comic. 60 or 61, I think, when he has them at dinner and then he kills his flunky because the flunky was going to kill them with a flamethrower, but he's going to destroy a valuable painting. Right. He's like, yeah, he's like, I can get more flunkies. This painting is priceless. <laughs> but yeah, so the alien guy says... Life is its own purpose. You're out there, you're living your life, and you affect it. You you touch on another one and affect it. That touches another and affects it, and another and another. Like, isn't that enough? You're part of life. You're an agent of change in the universe around you. And Adam says, "Nope, I want more." He's like the uh, like Violet and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I want more. No, not not Violet. Um. Violet's the one who turned into a blueberry. Yeah. What's the name of the girl who wanted everything and wanted it now? Veruca Salt. Veruca Salt. Yes. I only remember that because I went on a 90s kick the other day on Spotify and I found Veruca. I was listening to some Veruca Salt. Nice. <laughs> the band. To be fair, Adam does have a bit of a worry. He knows he's going to die in less than a year. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, not Yoda basically spins out several plot concepts, theoretically at least, for where this book might go over the next little bit. Like, he's basically like, okay, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. It sucks. You just got to deal with it, though. Yeah. And most of them do come true. Right. And you uh, mentioned something off mic about the high evolutionary um, um, prophecy, which I didn't even realize did come true, because that was one of my notes while I was reading. I was like, wait a second. What about the high evolutionary one? Does that ever come to pass? Yeah. So I was after reading this, I was skimming through the high evolutionary's appearances since his last appearance before this, which was a month ago. Fantastic Four 175, where he fights Galactus to uh, save Counter-Earth. Because Galactus promised Reed Richards he wouldn't eat Earth. He never said anything about counter-Earth. Right. But he was fine at the end of that. And then, of course, just to be a pain, most of his appearances for the next three or four years were all flashbacks. (laughs) A lot of them were in Spider-Woman, and they're all the same flashback to her origin. Oh, yeah, because he's obviously part of her origin, yeah. Yeah. But the next time we will see him, and we will talk about this in a while, eventually, is in Marvel 2-in-1. Where Warlock goes to attack it, where Warlock thinks he kills him, but he didn't. So it, Starlin never got a chance to show that. Somebody else does do that. 
but we'll get to that eventually. Gotcha. And then he just poofs away. Yeah, he's gone. Warlock turns around and he left. And even though it's not, it does not mean anything for the issue at hand. It has no importance to what's going on and not even any portents for what's going to happen in the future. I'm so glad we checked in with Pip one more time. Oh God. Yes. With constable true heart. <laughs> what a name for a police officer. Yeah. And no wonder, I guess it's supposed to be like a tur- like a takeoff on Dudley do right. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. That he's so honest and good that he's just mentioning the pip. We've been hit with a bunch of robberies that seem to have happened at the same time you came here. So it's like, what? No way. And then Pip starts pointing out all the criminals in the bar. As he slowly robs the guy in every panel of all the jewelry and medals and medallions on his uniform. Oh my God. Okay. I knew he took the belt, but I was looking at the one hand when I was looking back at those panels to see if Pip was grabbing the belt. I didn't even notice the other hand grabbing the feather off the guy's cap. Yeah, he gets the feather in one panel. He gets the guy's uh, shoulder medallion in the second panel. You're right. In the third panel, he's dropping stuff in the bag. And the fourth panel, uh, or fifth panel, everything falls off the guy. <laughs> yes, because Pip's like, excuse me, I got to do laundry. You know, dirty undies, wallets, rings. Right. Pip has really been like the number two character in this run. And even though they parted ways back in, what was that, issue 11? Uh, um, 12. 12. It's nice to see him one more time before the series ends. Yes. Because since Starlin didn't even know it was ending when he did this issue, there's no reason he would have had to include Pip. But he did. No, it does. This issue does kind of work as a nice little ending. For the uh, most part, yeah. It's it's not really that consequential to what. I mean, it just feels like okay. That's the that's the last thing we're gonna do for today. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the fact that it's not like part one of a story. Right. It is literally what the title is. Just a series of events. Yeah. Because, in fact, thinking about it now, Adam Warlock with Yoda could have been also another little mini story on its own. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is basically just like a little series of vignettes that he had in his mind, I guess, to tell. Yeah. But, I mean, it works as well, well enough for an ending issue more so than, let's say, part one or two of a story of actually starting a story. Definitely. It's better than issue eight's ending. Right. Which is, now I'm going to fight the main bad guy of the whole series, and we end it. Not going to do that next month. Okay, so then we get to sort of what I feel like is the crux of this issue. Oh, yes. Which is, he decides to confront the sentient space within the soul gem. And, you know, the idea that it like has its own will is something they've only really vaguely hinted at just because it sometimes acts without him wanting it to. They haven't really specifically said, oh, and by the way, it has intelligence. Yeah, it's just been kind of malevolent and vampirish, but it has, I don't think it's actually said anything yet. Right, and here they actually have a conversation and a sort of, you know, Doctor Strange, Battle of the Wills kind of thing. Yeah, as the thing says, come inside, I'm, I'm gentle. No pain, it's peaceful. No, it's calm. No pain, no burdens. Just Sucker. Kidding. 
Exactly. Not. And we do get a little hint for future stuff, though, even though I don't know if he planned it at the time. I am one of the six. Yes. Now, the idea of six gems is completely Starlin. There have been six or more random ass gems used in Marvel and Starlin ends up, you know, using all of those together for his infinity gauntlet story. But like, this is the first time I think of there's any indication that this gem is part of a group and that it's six in any sort of way that is meaningful. Yeah. Cause when it's introduced, it's just here, this is called a soul gem. It might yeah, help you. Yeah. Yeah. High evolutionary threw it to him on a whim said, here, take this. It might be helpful. It's like that old commercial where the kid gives the, the baseball player the uh, Coke mm-hmm. and he throws him his jersey. Hey, kid, catch. And turns out this gem is a mind that's been wanting a host. And now it's going to dominate Adam Warlock's body and, like, do whatever it is it wants to do, have a life. Yeah, it'd be like if, uh, again, that commercial, if instead of throwing the kid a jersey, he threw him, the, you, know, a, 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 you know, the Carnage symbiote. Right. Here, catch. This will ruin your life forever. Have fun. But yeah, it wants to take over Adam's body and go out and, I guess, suck in more souls. Yeah, because it's a vampiric entity. My mother was a star. My father was destruction. Yeah, which would make sense why the little soul world is so peaceful. It's to keep the prisoners from wanting to escape. Hmm. Is that a concept that they explore later? Um, way later. Yeah. Soul World will be seen. We'll see that in the Avenger in the uh, the two annuals when we cover those, and it will be seen when Warlock shows up again in Silver Surfer. Right. And around like ninety one or ninety two, before right before Infinity Gauntlet. But like relating the peacefulness of the Soul World to the vampiric nature of the Soul Gem. I don't think that's really touched on until very recently. Okay. I mean, I could have missed some things, of course, it's possible. But the only thing I know of is when they start doing Infinity Countdown, where Warlock wakes up in Soul World and realizes there's a problem here. And there's something malevolent inside. Because that was one thing I always found weird, is like, wait a minute, this gem is so malevolent throughout his whole run, but yet at the end it's all, ooh, this is all good. Now, granted, that was probably because that was the last time he was going to use them, so why not? But it always did seem a little incongruous like it didn't match up yeah but either way the gem cannot take over adam's body because adam basically is willing to kill himself and he's like if i'm dead then it doesn't matter if you take over my body it's a dead body you can't do anything i will be either free or dead do you understand me emerald viper curse you warlock i do you retain your freedom and that's why adam picked this desolate world well no sorry it's not it's not the same desolate world it's an empty Jungle world, it looks like. Mm-hmm. No intelligent life. So that there's no one else to accidentally pick up the gem. You know, if I'm dead, you're stuck here. And now the uh, the soul gem has freed him. He's basically his own purpose now. And you're destined to stay a cold, emotionless stone. That is why, good or bad, or, you know, bereft of both, I shall always be Adam Warlock. And it ends up Adam flying off into space. Fin. And that's why I said that kind of like it kind of does work as an ending up issue. Because, you know, they have that like this is like this feels like this last panel feels like 
the last page of an of a of a series. Mm-hmm. You leave the series feeling like the themes have been closed. Um, obviously, the plot lines are still open, and most of those are going to get uh, addressed, wrapped up in a year. But but yeah. Now, interestingly, the Masterworks volume has the Marvel team up issue in it, but the um, what is this digital version that I'm reading right now? This is Warlock by Jim Starlin. The complete collection does not have. Um, now that makes sense because he's Jim Starlin did not do the Marvel team up issue. No, he did not. But the um, but the Marvel Masterworks, which is more about collecting Adam Warlock's entire story, does. Well, that makes sense. What this does have, which I just noticed in the table of contents, is Warlock the Lost Issue. There are several black and white pages here at the back. Um, oh, an inventory story anticipated to run possibly as issue 15 or 16 at the time, penciled by Adam Weiss, was actually left behind in a New York City taxi cab while Alan's friends helped him unload. The uh, inker finisher Steve Lealoha saved photocopies of the pencils, which allowed us a glimpse of what might have been. The art is presented, but it's not dialogued. It's okay. called ju- just a minor incident. Oh, cool. This is the last issue of Warlock. It is canceled. I've mm-hmm. heard I've heard two reasons. I've heard Starlin leaving Marvel because he had issues with them again. Not the first time, not the last time. <laughs> it happens occasionally. But also it was canceled due to because they Marvel was having a bit of a having a paper shortage and a couple titles were canceled at this point. And according to the back issue article, two things that were mentioned was Warlock and Luke Cage. So this probably was about the time that Luke Cage went to Power Man and Iron Fist. Okay. Makes sense. You know, now we only have one title to publish. I'm wondering if Warlock if Warlock was canceled for both reasons. Starlin's making it sell. Well, we got to cancel something for this paper shortage. Well, Starlin left anyway, so screw it. Let's cancel his book. He doesn't care. That's my theory. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't know. What does he even go and do after this? Uh, he goes to DC because he's gonna be create. He's gonna be working in the late seventies on DC Comics Presents and creating Mongol. Oh, that's right. He made Mongol. I always forget yeah. that. Yup. So. He was at DC for a while because remember he's going to be in DC for a couple. Well, I don't know if he does if he stays there full time, but he's going to be at DC doing stuff throughout the early '80s too. Because I believe is he the one that writes the cult, the Batman miniseries? I don't know, but I know he writes Batman for a while because he's the one who's writing it during um, Death in the Family. You know when they kill Robin. Okay, yeah, that is Jim Starlin. Yeah. He does, he does, I don't know, I just I feel like he has so many weird and and because I think of him as like cosmic sci-fi. When I think Jim Starlin, I think Starlin, you know. Yeah. Um, but he does Red have Star, a lot Warlock. of Yeah. He does have a lot of more, for lack of a better word, pedestrian credits under his belt. Let's see, let's go comic book DB 77. Yeah, he sells some Marvel stuff going on in the 70s. Well, maybe it was just a paper shortage. I don't know, because I'm seeing Warlock here and then Marvel Spotlight, Doctor Strange, Marvel Preview. So maybe it was fully just canceled because of that. I'm not sure. Or maybe those were things that he already had done already. 
because I thought I remember reading that when he that him doing the annuals is him coming back to do stuff for Marvel. Gotcha. But yeah, he's gonna start doing stuff for for DC because I'm seeing him on New Gods, Weird Western Tales, Superboy, Jonah Hex. That's right. There was an OMAC backup in the last couple issues of Commandy after Kirby had left it, and he he was drawing that. All right. So what else should we do in this episode? Um, well, I did mention I actually already talked about the notes for this issue when we got as we got to the parts. The only other thing left is that Starlin did say he did remember some of his ideas and he would use them later on in other Warlock stuff like Infinity Gauntlet or Warlock and the Infinity Watch. And one of the things I'm thinking of is in the early issues of Infinity Watch, there's a story with uh, with the Man Beast and the High Evolutionary. So I'm wondering if that was maybe what he something he planned on doing around issue 16, 17, 18, maybe. Maybe somebody had notes or talked to him or something. Yeah, because that's the, that's the storyline that happens in like issues three, four, and five of Warlock and the Infinity Watch, if you remember those. Right. It brings back some of the characters from Counter-Earth. I vaguely remember that. I need to go, I need to, well, I don't know if I need to read the, reread them now, but I'll enjoy rereading them whenever we get to them on the show. Yeah, I reread them a while ago when we were on with Ryan Daly's show. Mm-hmm. For the Gamora stuff, so I was rereading the early issues of Infinity Watch to see what she appeared in. And I always did find it weird that, like, in the early issues of that, they bring back stuff from Counter-Earth. And I'm wondering if that's the first thing he thought of, because that's the last thing he was planning on doing. So he's like, well, let me do this now, and I'll figure out where we're going to go from here. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are what there is so it many with pouches? All the pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. And now it's time for our Friends and Enemies segment. And joining me this time is from the source material and other podcasts on the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, Jesse Starcher. How you doing, Jesse? Great, man. Thank you very much for having me on here. It has been, uh, it's actually been a a few months that I've been wanting to get on here and assist you. You've helped me out so many times on the Source Material Comics podcast that I thought to myself, at some point, I've got to return the favor. And today is the day. I cannot wait to talk about uh, some comics that, let me tell you, I would have never read if it wasn't for this section that we're about to talk about here. <laughs> the Friends and Enemies section uh, segment, excuse me, has eh, definitely... Thing. Yeah, the one on one or the other. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is this has brought me to an era of comics that I have not really dived into very often. So uh, this is going to be exciting, man. Oh, yeah, this is a fun, that's one of the reasons I like doing this. It gives me reason to read some of these weird little 
issues that I've never read before. Because mm-hmm. I think everything here was new to me as well. All right. Well, good, good deal. I cannot right. wait, man. Well, in case somebody is new and has not heard the show before, the main issue we talked about before was Warlock number 15, which had a cover date of November 1976. So right now we're going to talk about the other issues that had a cover date of November 76 that we've already talked about on the show before. So starting off is The Avengers number 153, Home is the Hero, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. Covered by Jack Kirby, Al Milgram, and Irv Watanabe. Watanabe. Yeah, that's close. Hey, I vote Watanabe. Works for me. (laughs) The Scarlet Witch is attacked by the Living Laser after she seeks a magical artifact at the Brand Corporation. But what does Wanda want with the Serpent Crown? And why is the Laser so keen on having the crown for himself? Mmm, the Serpent Crown. Well, uh, so let me tell you a little bit about the Serpent Crown. All right. Uh, The only time I've ever... I think seen it referenced prior to reading this was Atlantis attacks. Mm -hmm. Am I right there? That's one of the big things with the serpent crowns, Atlantis attacks. And that's actually where I had heard about this Avengers stories where they dealt with the crown back in the seventies. So apparently this is a crown or the powers of the crown allow you to, is it like, is there mind control involved here or, or what exactly any idea off the top of your head, what the serpent crown allows the user to do? It's some kind of vague mind control, ultimate power type of thing. It's connected to the uh, Elder God set. Okay. Kind of like uh, the Elder God Chython. At least that's how I think it's pronounced because it's spelled like C-T-H something. Are I always you, said Chython. We just did <laughs> we just did a podcast on Stephen King's Inn, and the villain, I guess you would call them, was a villain by the name of C-T-H-U-N, and... For sure enough, I kept calling it Kathun, like a sound. <laughs> so I'll have to remember that now. But yeah, he's responsible for the Darkhold. If you okay. know about the Darkhold from Marvel, the, I've heard I've heard of the Darkhold. Yeah, the Darkhold is like basically their version of the Necronomicon, evil ancient book that has lots of evil spells in it. Uh, according to Marvel, that's where vampires started because of that. Uh, werewolves. Uh, okay. They used it in one of the seasons of Agents of Shield when the the, uh, the season when they brought in Ghost Rider. Oh, okay. All they right. use it on the TV show. And so he's one of the ancient gods, and Set is one of the other ancient evil gods. And when they were banished from this dimension, he kind of left his power behind in the crown. So it's not just an ultimate power thing. It's also kind of a mind control on the user because it's like Set's way of coming back into the this world. Ah, okay. All right, got it. Which is one of the things you remember happened with the Atlantis attacks. Mm-hmm. The big giant serpent monster that wanted to come through at the end and take over Earth. Yeah, I have a I remember the what if uh, the, I think it was what if the heroes or maybe it was just what if Atlantis attacks. I can't remember the. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, like and, and it has that serpent. All the, the brides. Uh, yep. I, I remember that issue. I have it sitting back there in a long box somewhere. Been a while since I read it. So the living laser is back and everybody thought he died the last time. But eh, wrong. That was an android. So uh, the living laser comes back. Now, one thing I found really interesting about this book was Wonder Man. uh, There was a lot of uh, discussion about Wonder Man being back as well. Like, and they kept referring to him as, as, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this, a Zuvembe. 
A Zuvimbi? Zuvimbi? Something okay. like that. I have no idea how to pronounce that, so I'll let you do that. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so I checked this word out, and I have, there's a little bit of a history here, and you may know it, uh, but I've learned something. So in the 1970s, Marvel Comics, this is straight from the wiki, by the way, Marvel Comics used the term in place of zombie, which mm-hmm. had been banned by the Comics Code Authority. So I did not know that they – I knew the Comics Code had rather a large influence, especially – as this is the Bronze Age, correct? And oh, I yeah. Didn't. Okay. So we're smack dab in the Bronze Age. I know the code's pretty strong at this point. Um, but uh, they had said that they kind of laxed it there in, in 71 – but this was one of the terms. Zombie was something that you still couldn't use. So yeah, it instead, took a little while for that to be used. Yeah. Instead, Marvel come around and said, okay, we're just going to call it Zuvembe. So yeah. that was our way around it. Although they also did have – it must have relaxed at some point because in the 70s they did have like a Tales of the Zombie comic. So, Oh, really? Yeah. It was, was Marvel? Simon Garth. Yeah, okay. Simon Garth was the I name had, of the zombie. I did not know that. Let's and I, I also learned about – the wizard and apparently the wizard at this time was thought to be scarlet witch's dad mm-hmm. again i'm getting an education <laughs> yeah yeah they thought he was their they thought he was their father okay but All then right. it got retconned again to be magneto and they had to do some juggling of oh no he was there when they were born and his wife the, the kid was still born so since magneto had ran off already they gave the twins to him, and then he ran off because I think his wife had di- I think his wife had died in childbirth, and he was in grief, and so she gave the kids to uh, a Romney family, gypsies. Oh, gypsies. Okay. Yep. So that's how they have multiple sets of parents. Okay. Well, yeah, this was something brand new to me, uh, and. The other one note that I have off of this issue is Beast yells out, oh, my stars and garters. That needed to be highlighted. I just <laughs> need to throw oh, that yeah. out there. That was, like his he, like, that was his catchphrase. I know that it was probably used quite often, but hey, I got to see it there in Avengers 153. Oh, okay. I'm looking at it now real quick on Comic Book DB. Okay. So the zombie, Simon Garth the zombie, by the way, apparently first appeared in some random issue called Menace from 1953. Mm, sounds menacing. Yeah. But then he was, uh, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. But then he had his own title called Zombie, or Tales of the Zombie, starting in 73, but that was one of the Marvel magazines. Oh, that's how, okay. So that's how they got around. Because I knew they had the zombie in the 70s, and I'm like, well, why are they still using Zuvembi here when they were able to use it? But obviously they weren't able to use Zombie yet in the comics. But the because magazines the are a different animal. Yep. Exactly. That's why, like, if you read those old Savage Sword of Conans, they can get away with a lot more than mm-hmm. they could in the regular Conan the Barbarian comic. Yes, sir. The Avengers Annual Number Six No Final Victory by Jerry Conway, Scott Edelman, George Perez, and Herb Trimpey. Cover by Jack Kirby. It's a beautiful cover, by the way. Dan Akins and Frank Gia. Oh, boy. Here we go. Gia Koya. All right. Uh, this, again, just like Al said, story continues from Avengers 153, guest starring The Wizard. It's an action-packed annual as Earth's mightiest heroes face one crisis after another. 
First, a wounded Scarlet Witch returns to Avengers Mansion following her battle with the Living Laser. Then, while Jarvis and the Vision summon a doctor for Wanda, the Wizard regains consciousness and explains his bizarre behavior to the Wasp and Yellowjacket. Meanwhile, a confused Wonder Man wanders the streets of Manhattan. And furthermore, the sinister Serpent Crown remains unaccounted for somewhere in the United States. Wow, where do the Avengers begin? All right, so... And yeah, this cover, I like this cover better than the 153 one. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely has that... I could tell it was Kirby right off the bat. We have all sorts of action going on here. We have Nuclo, Nuclo, which is, again, a character I'd never heard of, but clearly there's some history that's talked about here between the Wizard uh, yeah, since... His, uh, uh, actual son. It's his son, yeah. And... We got the wizard clocking people. We got Captain America clocking some soldiers. You know, it's this big battle. Who is... Oh, okay, never mind. That's the living laser up there. Is that the living laser with the crown on his head? The yeah, crown? that's okay. why it looks a little weird. It, it kind of looks a bit like Wonder Man's old costume from when he first showed up in issue nine. Took me by surprise there for a second. I almost didn't know who it was. Um, yeah. And the vision, of the vision, of course, with his hand outstretched. <laughs> <laughs> the iconic Always. vision pose. <laughs> yeah, like the one they used to have on the covers in the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I like this annual a lot. I like the fact that it was like bringing all the storylines in together. Yeah. Uh, Tied this, everything up. They they did a good job. I liked, I didn't expect this to be a continuation from the first one when I was reading it. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to go into the Avengers, uh, the annual. And what are we used to? Well, what am I used to? Uh, like I said, I don't read this, uh, the, the Bronze Age very often, but I'm, I'm used to annuals being almost completely separate stories sometimes. And yeah. this picked up right where the other one left off. And we learn about Nuclo and, and the wizard's unfortunate past. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had a messed up life. You know, he becomes a, a drunk at one point. And then, of course, once things finally start to resolve themselves we have the battle with his own son who i think if i remember correctly he like grows to this enormous size and the only person that's able to do anything is the wizard who runs at him full force and self-sacrificing move just explodes him and uh, nuclo at the same time and i can't remember if they showed like nuclo still alive afterwards or if they just completely dissipated i think um, they're alive Okay, I know that Nuclo lives, and I know that Wizard doesn't pass away until 82, according to what I saw on, online there. I think it's in the Scarlet and... Uh, oh, Vision and Scarlet Witch Mini? Yeah, yeah. So he apparently dies in that one. But, uh, yeah, man. And then we have... Um, I, I, well, I don't want to go to the second story, which I, I have officially retitled something different. But uh, anything oh, else yeah, I forgot about to say? the second story. <laughs> I just have one quick note on it, but... Uh, okay. Anything else you yeah. wanted to say about that first one? Uh, no, like, I, well, not much, really. I mean, I like the fact they tied everything in. I was, I did find it interesting that when the Scarlet Witch got injured, she actually got shot. Like, oh, right, it wasn't shoulder. a laser blast or anything like that. She got a bullet to, you know, she, mm -hmm. she took a bullet. Yeah. That was a little more brutal, a little less Bronze Age, and a little more modern, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a lady getting shot? I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I could see that pushing the envelope. Um, yeah, or any of them getting shot. Usually it was like some kind of, you know, vague explosion or power blast or something like that that would injure them. Mm -hmm. You know, not a, uh, you know, not just a regular bullet. Yep. That was more of a Spider-Man thing. 
you know, within yeah. fight or Daredevil fighting gangs and stuff. Yeah, and this was just from a regular old soldier. Uh, this wasn't from right. It was. This was yes, one of the guards of the Brand Corporation, which is what they uh, brought in from the Beasts uh, series when he had his own series in Amazing Adventures. Okay, that's where the Brand Corporation comes from. He was he was working for them when he made up the formula that turned him blue and furry. Oh, now see that's that is another series I knew of but never read. Never jumped into any of that. This Avenger stuff, I think you were you were present on my podcast when we dived into the probably the oldest uh, the oldest issue I think we've issues we've ever um, covered, which was the Kree Scroll. Yeah, well, I'll try that again. Kree Scroll War, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that is I think officially as far as being aired on the network the oldest comics that we have read. Which that thing that takes a place what it's a couple years before this. Yeah, yeah, because that was issues like eighty nine to ninety seven. Okay, all right. So, so it's a few years before. Yeah, and that's that's about the extent of the oldest Avengers that I had read. Um, man, the second story. Oh okay. yeah, the vision, the vision soul story. Really, I mean, it's almost like uh, we got to fill pages, do something. <laughs> so story two is titled Night Vision, but I officially. Retile it. Vision's a D bag, because <laughs> Vision, Vision. <laughs> all right. The, the the whole story is Vision like walks out in traffic, and almost causes a horrific traffic accident. But luckily, this truck driver, his truck is completely mangled. But this guy walks away, no problems. Okay. Yeah. Whew. But man, oh man, he lays into Vision like, dude, you know, who's going to fix my truck? So the cops show up, all right, and the cops arrest the vision, throw him in the pokey, and just so happens in the pokey is a villain by the name of the Whirlwind, and this guy he makes the decision it's time to escape. So he leaves he leaves uh, the police and uh, the (laughs) he leaves the jail, uh, and Vision of course takes off after him. But it's so funny because at the very end. Uh, the truck driver is still after Vision. Like, dude, my truck. <laughs> and uh, Vision just looks at him and says, uh, tell Tony Stark about it, and then flies off. Yeah. All right. It's so, basically, we need to fill pages. Do something. It's like this guy's an android or something. I don't understand. <sighs> I, I forgot about the whirlwind. That's hilarious. It's like, I'm going to bide my time and wait until there's a superhero here, and then I'm going to escape. <laughs> the one time. The one time. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah, it was just, it, it was an annual, so you got to have, you know, some kind of side story or something to just kind of, just like you said, fill some pages. And I didn't hate it, but I just thought it was, my, yeah. the, the vision's out doing some soul searching and it just so happens he does, he's kind of socially awkward. Yeah. And he basically just realizes, eh, I don't care. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, with money you say, well, talk to Tony Stark. I'm a good friend. Here's He'll my card. It. See you later. Uh, and that's it. The poor driver. Who's going to do my truck? All right. But yeah, that's all I had for that one. That's, I think, what we need to say about that one. <laughs> all right. Coming up next, we have Captain Marvel number 47, Crisis, by Jerry Conway, Bill Mantlo, Al Milgram, Terry Austin, and Bob Wyacek. Covered by Al Milgram. The Sentry Strikes. Marvel clashes with one of the greatest terrors from his Kree homeworld. Can even the Human Torch help Marvel survive this battle? Mm. 
Good I, question. You gotta love the required hero fight. I don't oh, have five yes. seconds to say why I need your help. I'm just gonna break into your house and start hitting you. That makes much more sense. <laughs> is this your building? Why, yes, it is. Um, one way, please. I need in. This like, felt rude. Dude, <laughs> come on. Five <laughs> seconds. Five seconds. That's all it took. Have a little discussion. Just, you know, maybe talk to him a little bit and explain what your situation is. This felt very familiar. Did Was this something or was this touched yeah. on an, an Avengers Forever or where? I swear I've talked about this. War, he had to break into the Fantastic Four's building to rescue Rick Jones from the negative zone. So, so the human torch is like, not again, buddy. <laughs> We're not he doing this can't again. Stop going into that damn negative zone. Annihilus has candy, and Rick doesn't have enough sense to not to stay away from the candy. Get your own negative zone portal, Captain Marvel, for Pete's sake. And then, uh, you know, he's in there. He's all concerned about trying to rescue Rick Jones, and the human torch is like, dude, you've got those bands on your wrists. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And then finally he just goes, ting, and oh, out pops Rick Jones. Of course, we have to do the transposition with the negative zone. But Rick Jones shows up, and everything is going great for this guy. You know, he's he's visiting old friends, some old record dealer or uh, contract guy. I can't remember who he was. Some oh, Mordecai P. Boggs. I remember <laughs> him from the uh, Jim Starlin run when we were covering those issues. All right. So, he yeah, signed he him. He picks up, he, oh, welcome back, man. Hey, we I've got great plans for you. And then just then, the sentry falls out of a plane. Whoops. Yep, you know, whoopsie. Dropped a giant robot on a Mexican town. I believe it was yeah. Mexico. Yeah, it was in Mexico. <laughs> and so he had to fight him. No, my favorite part of the issue was the human torch, in the beginning when the human torch is like, the building's locked down because the rest of the team's gone. It's like, is Johnny like five? It's like, okay, Johnny, we're going out. Remember, no one allowed, no friends over, no parties. Nope. Oh, there's, you're going to tell Johnny Storm not to have a party? Oh, this is like, what was it? Kidden plays uh, House Party 5 or something? I don't know. Johnny Storm's having a party. Like house Party 4, 6. <laughs> house Party 6. <laughs> Back to building. What, what? But that's the, that was my favorite part. It's like, what is Johnny, like a ch- child? They have to leave and like. You don't you're, trust like, Johnny Storm. You're not, allo- you're not allowed to do anything, Johnny. You stay home and behave. I mean, at there, this point, he was... Because he's basically the same age as Spider-Man. At this point, Spider-Man was like in college or even graduate school. So Johnny's like 21, 22, probably. Uh, I I can't blame Reed and Sue, okay? I don't well, know. <laughs> I can't blame him. This is Johnny Storm. <laughs> exactly. The guy who thought he had a... The guy who used to think he had a secret identity. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get into trouble. He's just stay inside. Lock the door. Yeah, he is not an adult. Nope. nope Johnny nope. could be an old man. And he's still not an adult. No, sir. No, sir. All yeah. right. That's all the notes I had, man. Anything else? Nope. That's it. Let's move on. All right. Daredevil number 139, A Night in the Life by Marv Wolfman, Sal Buscema, and Jim Mooney, covered by Gil Kane and Dan Adkins. Daredevil is overwhelmed by two pressing cases, a mad bomber on the loose and an at-risk runaway teen. Oh, man, this was this was a rough one. Um, some serious issues happening in here. Yeah, although it really wasn't a teen. That kid's like 10. Yeah, he's 
I, I, why Maybe. he's on the streets, I mean, it isn't any wonder that his parents are freaking out because the kid is, yeah, he's near 10, maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, he he's is like seven or eight or something. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what, it, but he doesn't even know he's a hemophiliac. No, no. And the poor kid. All right. So first off, they make it, they do a good job. This is almost, I wouldn't say a PSA, but they, they make you understand that what a, what a hemophiliac is. It's apparently somebody that can, if they get cut, they're going to bleed out. Yeah. So the blood do you, doesn't clot. So you get a paper cut and you might die. What do you think is going to happen to this kid in this issue? He's going to get cut. <laughs> He's going to get cut. And he gets cut in like the worst place too. Like he falls down on a back alley after finding, uh, was it Joyce? Um, Oh, I forget her name, but yeah, the, uh, the Mad Bomber's wife. Yeah, the Mad Bomber's wife, who is unfortunately a cocaine addict, I believe. I think it was cocaine. Yeah, she was a drug addict. So she's trying to get her fix. And, and her husband is bombing things to uh, oh, yeah. get her back. Because that's what you do. That's It's no wonder there's issues there involving drugs with that uh, pair. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the, the Mad Bomber has decided to go on a bombing uh, spree in order to try and get her to come back. And so daredevil is on the case. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, our poor kid here, I don't, I can't remember his name for the life of me. Um, but, uh, our poor kid finds Joyce laying on the ground. Uh, and she's disheveled, you know, and he walks over they, they kind of pair up for a little bit. She's concerned. She needs to get him somewhere. And he ends up falling down. If I remember correctly and cutting yeah. himself. And so she, well, eventually picks him up. First, she tries to get some score, uh, rob a guy, and then she picks him up. <laughs> Priorities, man. <laughs> yeah, she's like, we got to go see my dealer first. Then I'll take you to the hospital, okay? Yeah, um, and then she decides she's going to take him and replace her because she had a, her. I think that's, yeah, that's why she started doing drugs is because her own kid ran out to the street and got hit oh, by a car. Yeah. Man, that and was sad. It, and not just hit by a car. Like, this person, it was a hit and run. Like, they didn't even bother stopping. They just, mm. so... That, it's some real, I mean, it's a real tragic backstory for Joyce and, of course, you know, the Mad Bomber, who obviously cares for his wife, is just going about it the wrong way. Uh, and there well, we is, knew he goes about things the wrong way because I think from what she said, he also hit her. So, oh, he abused her as well? Yeah, yeah. So oh. he is all, well, so it makes sense that he would start bombing things because he's just obviously yeah. has lots of issues. There's, yeah, there's, there's problems there. Uh, there yeah, that's is a great a, marriage. <laughs> There is a point. I hope I, I hope Matt Murdock steps in, does something here with with that family. Represents, you know, at least Joyce in some way. Get her into rehab. Um, the there is a point, and I, I made sure to make uh, to highlight this. But Daredevil swinging across the city, you know, he's trying to find people who may have information as to what's going on. And I'm trying to find the page here because I want to make sure I quote it correctly. Because it is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, hold on a second. Give me a minute. No problem. Okay, here we go. Uh, who was it? Okay. Big Max, uh, which I believe is the, is he the drug dealer? Um, I think he is. All right. Okay. Well, let, let me try this. So I'm on the panel. It's page 26 of this issue. Uh, Daredevil swinging across the city. And 
in the thought bubble here, it says, not much time until the next blast and less than 45 minutes until midnight. No one's been hurt, which means we've been lucky so far, but I can't expect that to continue. Better get in touch with Blake Tower and see if the DA's office has learned anything. If not, I've got to backtrack, see if I missed anything. And then out of nowhere, almost clipping Daredevil in the face is a bullet. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's how the guy gets his attention. I was like, wait a second, dude. You're going to start firing as superheroes swinging across the city in order to try and get their attention. And then it was like, okay, well, what information you have for me? Oh, you have you, great. Thank you. And then punches the guy out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I hope that guy learned his off. lesson. He is pissed off in this issue. When he catches those guys mugging the guy, mugging the old man, he beats the hell out of him. He's like, go turn yourselves in now. Yep. And they're like, Okay. <laughs> no, this uh, was fun. Yeah, this it was, was a crazy. street street level. I mean, shoot, we we just talked about some pretty cosmic stuff. You know, our Avengers aren't always cosmic, but uh, you know, Captain Marvel's definitely. And then we brought it down to the streets with Daredevil. So it was I, they they may not call me street level starch on the Source Material Comics podcast, but I'm going to say that they do. And and th- this is kind of up my alley right here. <laughs> yeah, this was a good one. All right. <laughs> So next up, Fantastic Four, number 176. Impossible as it may seem, the Impossible Man is back in town. By Roy Thomas, George Perez, and Joe Sinnott. Covered by Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott. Mm-hmm. After helping save Counter-Earth, an unwelcome Impossible Man accompanies the Fantastic Four back to Earth and drops in on the Marvel bullpen. Okay, I, I have questions. First of all, okay, but first of all, I have to say one thing. Yes, sir. Joe Sinnott, best inker for Jack Kirby. It looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Best inker for Sinnott is an amazing inker. When we were doing this for um, or my crossover, my uh, my Mephisto crossover episodes a few a few months back. Uh huh. So we were doing issues from the '90s, and we're talking about issues of Thor, like 425 and 424 and 425, mm-hmm. which is during the Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends run. One of the two issues, Joe Sinnott inked. And my God, it looks amazing. Yeah. And, and I mean, if we go back, was that Avengers cover inked by somebody different? Because it looks yes. different. It definitely yeah. looks different. Yeah. I think it said uh, Dan Atkins. I think it was the Avengers one. Uh, no, Dan yeah. Atkins, I think, was the annual. Al Milgram was the. Uh, 153. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You want Joe Sinnott on Kirby. No kidding. Dude, this looks great. Yeah. That is so, beautiful. Tell me about tell me about Counter Earth. Uh, you've mentioned it plenty of times, I think, on this podcast. So, oh yeah, because that's where Adam Warlock's first series took place. What is this deal about? How <clears throat> he saved Counter Earth? I know that's not what happens in this issue, but it happens prior to yeah, can just you, before. Can you do, do you know anything about that? Oh yeah, so there's Counter Earth, which you know the higher evolutionary decided to create, and Adam Warlock had most of his adventures from his first eight issues, and then at this point, Adam, of course, had wandered off to space okay well galactus was hungry and while he had made a promise not to eat earth counter earth uh-uh not earth i didn't promise about this one loophole baby <laughs> so the high revolutionary sends one of his new men who is a golden gorilla okay. to get the fantastic force help and after fighting the giant gorilla Conveniently around the same time that the King Kong movie came remake in 76 came out. Mm, cash in, baby. Mm-hmm. 
they went and tried to fight the Galactus, and that didn't work until the Impossible Man came, and basically off his him and his people were bored, so they offered up their own planet for Galactus to eat. And, <laughs> they were bored. <laughs> yeah, basically, and it gave Galactus indigestion, and he left. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> that is great. And the Impossible Man was like, I'm going to go back to Earth with you because you guys are fun. Man, we ain't even touched on what's happening in this issue, but it is a meta, meta tale, I guess you would say. Uh, oh, yeah. This, I know, has happened in the past. Like, I know, I'm pretty sure, like, the bullpen has showed up in Fantastic Four comics before. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Or definitely, okay. at least definitely in the early issues. Like, we're talking, like... 9, 10, 11, or 12, somewhere around there. Dr. Doom took them hostage once. Oh, that's great. That's great. For anybody that don't know who the bullpen is, we're talking about the actual... Uh, I mean, run them down here. We got Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Who else was part of the bullpen that they were mentioning in here? Um, Hold on one second. Let me bring the issue up real quick. Man. Yeah, I've got it here in front of me. I'm looking here. I've got... Okay. I think so Jack got, Conway is in there. Roy Thomas, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it is Jolton Joe Senate's waiting for pages right now. Yep. Uh, so he's mentioned at least. I don't know if he shows up here. Uh, George. So I'm that's George Perez. I'm fairly certain on the left hand side of Stan Lee. And then Kirby, of course, with a cigar in his left hand. Uh, oh, yeah. Great temples there. And yes, yeah, so okay. we got yeah, we got Stan Lee. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Roy Thomas is the one with the longer blonde hair. That's what I was trying to figure out. Okay. Of course, Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Uh, George is probably, yeah, Perez. Since yep. they're the creators on, the, on this issue. Who else is in here? Let's see. I forgot to write this. I, I was thinking about when I read the issue, and then I forgot to do it, of, like, who's in the issue. Well, there's some guy that just was, like, out trying to get a bagel or something. Oh, there's this huge guy, which I don't know if he's real or not. Uh, some dude by the name of John Verporten. They call yes. him Jumbo, which I didn't know if he was actually real or oh, yeah. if they just was a plot device because he dwarfs freaking Jack Kirby. Uh, and I'm going to assume he was that big then. Okay. <laughs> Huge dude. Yeah, I don't think Jack Kirby was that tall a person. Well, then, what I remember hearing about, I don't think Jack Kirby was like, he's not like he was six foot. He was like five, seven, five, eight, maybe. Okay. Least, I think he was just. You know, still. Hey, he's larger in life in all our hearts. How's that? Well, he also was one of the guy. He was also was the guy you didn't want to mess with. He's still. I mean, remember, he he still grew up of like. I mean, when I say gangs, I don't mean gangs like we think now. You know. Yeah. Gangs yeah. like you know kids running around the forties, you know, in the thirties and stuff. But you know, he got into fights all the time. I mean, there's that classic story about when he was doing Captain America in the early days and like some kind of neo, some kind of like pro-German Nazi group was like, what was that downstairs wanting to you know have a word with them he's like puts his sleeves up he's like all right let's go <laughs> he's ready to beat the hell out of them yep yeah i've heard i've heard that story quite a few times but yeah john for i've heard of his name before so yeah he's a real production person real dude okay all right and then we have the editor-in-chief here uh who archie goodwin yeah if you okay. notice on the name if you notice the day the door it says editor stan lee crossed out roy thomas crossed out lenine <laughs> crossed out marv wolfman crossed out Roy Thomas crossed out. Jerry Conway crossed out. <laughs> and then it says Archie Goodwin, and underneath, underneath it says your name. <laughs> like they're just ready for him to leave at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once Stan left and Roy took over as the editor, then basically after that Roy left, they basically had like a revolving door for like two or three years of like different people taking over for anywhere from like a few months to a year as editor until Jim Shooter 
became editor-in-chief. Oh, that's a great inside joke right there. Because they really didn't have like a whole thing. It was kind of like, okay, you know, one person was editor originally because they didn't have that many books. And then that's why a lot of times like the 70s, you'll see writer-editor. Yeah, okay. Until finally Shooter took over as editor-in-chief and kind of put some order in there. Got it. Beforehand, it was kind of from whatever all indications, it was just a crazy place. I could I could imagine. I could just imagine. Uh, Armand, I love how Archie, the whole, it seems like at least for a few of these pages, Archie is trying to figure out a name for himself. <laughs> Arduous Archie? Armadillo Archie? <laughs> Articulate Archie? Artful Archie? Uh, Archie could win. From what, I from what I've heard, no one has ever had anything negative to say about Archie Goodwin. Oh, good guy, huh? All right. Oh, yeah. It's like Mark, uh, Mike Remold. You've never heard anyone say bad things about Mark Remold. Mm-hmm. You know, even some of the other ones, like Kirby had issues with some, you know, some people had issues with Kirby back when he had issues with people, Stanley. You know, there's still, just happens in life. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means some people have issues and disagreements. But I've never heard anyone say anything negative about Archie Goodwin or Mark Remold as people. All right. Very good. But yeah, well, that was a fun little thing going through the Marvel. Yeah, going open. through the, yeah, and the impossible man just kind of having his way until somebody finally, I think, gets, <laughs> yeah, all he wants is a comic book wrote about him. And yeah. that's the whole adventure is like impossible man's like, I need a comic book wrote about me. And Stan Lee says, okay, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And then before the end of the story, he's like, boy, I'm glad that guy got out of here because we are not doing that story. <laughs> yeah. And you remember why they left? Uh oh, something was going on. Hold on, I I thought I had the frightful four. Yes, right? there's an ad in the newspaper. Oh the yes, frightful four is holding tryouts for fourth <laughs> member, <laughs> and so they advertise in the paper. Uh brilliant. By the way, now I haven't read the next. I I do need to read the next next issue too to see what happens. But I do know one of the characters that comes from this um tryout is Captain Ultra. Really? Okay, now I've heard of Captain Ultra before. Oh my goodness. Um, help me out. What is he? He has like the most gaudy day glow cover costume ever. And his weakness is fire. And when I say fire, as in like you let a match in front of him and he fainted. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. He was most known to people from the 90s because Scott Lobdell kind of took him. Because this is when Scott Lobdell was still... Before you came on X-Men. So this okay. is when he was still trying to come up as a writer. So he did several Captain Ultra stories in uh, Marvel Comics Presents. Like little, you know, just like one-shot stories. Just kind of like trying out, just trying to, you know, get himself in as a writer. Yeah, I'm looking at this this guy. I don't know if I've ever read anything in here or with him in it or not. There's no way I could forget this costume. God, no. Oh, my gosh, man. Wow. Red. Yeah. Okay, let's see. You want to pick two primary colors to go with? No, I want I want red, green, black, and I want my cape to be blue. Okay, well we'll I rock want on. All the colors. <laughs> ultra, ultra. <laughs> all right, yeah, this was a weird issue. I had a good time though, man. I was I haven't read much Impossible Man stuff, and I knew of him as a character. I think he was the one that I the, the one that I think I remember reading was he part of the. Fantastic Four Superman crossover, or I swear he was that part of a Marvel cool. DC. He was part of a Marvel DC crossover. I swear. I could be wrong. I'm going to have to go to the Google machine. Oh, 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 oh. I think I know which one you're talking about. Hold on. 
I want to make sure I'm right. I think mm. it was a. I think it was World's Funniest. I think it was an Impossible Man Mixcaplet mix crossover. All right. I'm looking for. Is it World's Funniest? Or World's Funnest? I'm not sure which. So I'm just looking up under Impossible Man and see if I can find it out. I couldn't find it. Like at least it's not in the first on the first sheet. Here front. we go. Impossible Man. I Let's swear see. him and I swear him and Mitzelplex had like a battle, or they yeah they had, something happened, but I'm not finding it. He's in uh, a Marvel crossover classic trade, and showing he's listed in. I'm not sure which one though. Let's see, Impossible Man. So yeah, probably Silver Surfer Superman most likely. Ah, okay. But I know they also did do some stuff. Uh, I know there was an issue of Superman where John Byrne did where. Mixaplik was bothering Superman, and then he went popped into another dimension, and you don't really see him fully, but he looks green, and he's bothering four people in like blue co- well, you just see their legs, and he's like blue costumes. Hmm. Kind of implying that like they're all the same person. Do you think he was like they like use them like for a panel in Marvel versus DC, um, that series? Because maybe I'm maybe I'm seeing it there too or something, but I. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if it ain't, if it ain't a thing, edit it all out. <laughs> yeah, no, he, okay, yeah, Silver Surfer Superman, so he was definitely in that one. Okay, cool, all right, so I'm not crazy. No. That's all I needed, sense. I needed validation. <laughs> all right, is it my turn? Yep, and so we're going from this comedy to tragedy. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one here, so uh, this one's me, right? All right, The Incredible Hulk, number 205, Do Not Forsake Me, by Lynn Wein, Sal Buscema, and Joe Staten, covered by Herb Trimpey. Bruce and Jarella are out for a lovely afternoon jaunt when they run across the crypto man robbing a bank. So yeah, man, tragedy. Um, I messaged you about this. I was like, throughout the book, you know, I thought it was just going to be standard Incredible Hulk fair. All right. Mm-hmm. Right, at, right at the beginning, we are reminded that when Bruce Banner gets angry, guess what? He turns into the Hulk. Um, and I thought, well, you know, there's going to be some ne'er-do-well doing something. He's going to turn into the Hulk, and that's that. That's it. No. No. No way. There, there's a couple things that happen here. First off, uh, Jarella, which was a character I knew about, and I messaged you, and I was like, I swear I've seen her after this, but heading onto the internet and confirmed by you as well. She dies in this issue. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big deal because, uh, we all know about, um, his, you know, Bruce Banner's love for Betty. But at this point, I assume that clearly fell through as, as Bruce is walking around right there on the streets with Jarella on his arm. Who's, you know, she's a green skinned, uh, female from the micro universe, right? Yep, yeah, she she was a queen there. And yeah, because at this point, Betty was married to Glenn Talbot. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're out just, to, you know, to go. <laughs> Bruce is like, oh, you've got to taste ice cream. You've never had ice cream? Oh, my gosh, let's go get some ice cream. I love that part. He's like, you've never had ice cream? Let's go get yeah. some ice cream. Yeah. I would do that. I'd be like, that's because I'm ready for ice cream now. That's the first thing. That'd be the first thing. If I introduced anybody into this world, we got to have ice cream. Um. Chocolate sprinkles? I'll get you some chocolate sprinkles. A little, little bit of Hershey's on top of it? All right, I'm down. Mm. Um, yeah, she ends up uh, getting 
trapped in some rubble as the Hulk and Crypto Man, which Crypto Man's this hulking robot, which apparently had been a villain. I don't know if he was a villain for the Hulk in the past. Uh, uh, Thor. Oh, okay. Said. All right. So uh, some, which they don't even reveal who this was, I don't think, in this issue. No. Or and that was the that was the point of it. Yeah, I think because the guy wanted the guy restarted this crypto man thing because he wanted to be famous. It's just like, some random scientist, like uh, yeah. or something. He wanted to be famous, and that's the whole point: is that he dies, and by the end of the issue, he dies too, and they, no one ever knows who he is. It says he's going to be buried in an unmarked grave because no one was able; they weren't able to identify him. Yeah, the guy that guy dies. I forgot about him dying, um, which is which is good because, like you know. Yeah, he was a jerk. He was a jerk. But yeah, Crypto Man and the Hulk are battling in, uh, I believe it's a building or something, and there's there's some rubble involved that collapses on the Torella. She dies just the way um, Captain Stacy did. With? In Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy's father. Yeah, yeah. Spidey's uh, battling the green, the Dr. Octopus. Dr. Octopus, I think it was a chimney his arms hit. The bricks were falling down. There was a kid, I think it was a kid. Captain Stacy pushes the kid out of the way, but gets crushed by the bricks. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what happened to Jarella. Same thing. She said, yeah, she goes to save a kid. And uh, yeah, this unfortunately, Jarella is no more. She is dead. And of course, this is this is heartbreaking for the Hulk. He knocks the head off of Crypto Man, <laughs> uh, the, the large robot. And that is the end of Crypto Man, as far as I know. I don't know if he yeah. comes back at all. Oh, I have that. no idea, but I mean, yeah, that destroyed the robot because the feedback and the feedback is what killed killed the uh, guy controlling it. Mm-hmm. This is something else that I don't think I've ever seen in a comic, in a, an Incredible Hulk comic, or I've never seen happen with the Incredible Hulk. Uh, the Incredible Hulk has Jarella in his arms, and you know, please be kind to yourself, my darling, until we meet again. And she's obviously faded away and the Hulk, you could tell is just completely broken up and he starts crying. I yeah. mean, when is the, when is the last time or if you have seen the Hulk cry ever, <laughs> I, I can't recall. honestly think, I cannot honestly think if I've ever seen an issue or anything where the Hulk was that upset to where he was crying. Yeah. Um, well, it makes sense. Cause I mean, unlike other people, like even Betty, Love Bruce and had to eventually become to accept the Hulk part. You know, when they get back together years and years later, you can see from here, Jarella loved both of them and they both loved her. Perfect. Perfect. You know what I mean? She was, you know, Hulk and also was like a perfect mix. I mean, she was human size, not whole, like, not like, you know, big, like the Hulk. She was more banner size, but she had the green skin. Mm-hmm. So like, it was like the perfect person for both of them. And yeah, when she, Oh my God, the poor Hulk is just, devastated in here and i actually had to read through the next two issues just to see yeah he spends the next two issues just trying to find some way to bring her back yeah you are left at the end of this issue thinking okay well i mean he says jarella hulk will not let jarella die so you're like okay he's going to get her somewhere she's going to be okay they don't like come out and just say hey she's dead (laughs) they make you wait and grab the next issue to see if she's actually dead um, and I mean, he takes her to Doc Samson. Doc Samson is, you know, saying, we'll see what we can do. Oh, wait a second. No, I'm sorry. Doc Samson says, I'm sorry, Hulk. We were too late. So, yeah, yeah. I guess he does find out then. And then. Um, but then he goes to find Doctor Strange. That's right. I, see, I, I knew there was some there. There's some bit of hope. Yeah. And, well, no. 
I go onto the internet and I'm like, certainly she didn't die after this because like I said, I thought I saw her after this and lo and behold right there, I think it was on comic vine or, or somebody was listing the first appearance and the final appearance. The final appearance was this issue. So yeah. Yeah. The next two issues he goes and he fights the defenders cause he's still angry. Oh, he's, he's, I imagine he's going to be pissed for a while. And then eventually Dr. Strange tries to help, but of course they can't bring her back. And it's so sad. The end of 207 is like just Valkyrie hugging him as he's crying. Oh man. Wow. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, it was. That, that's rough. That was good, a rough. Good story. This is the kind of storytelling that I like to see, uh, from Marvel. And, you know, I, I don't get into the bronze age very often just because, you know, I'm not worried that I'm going, I'm, I'm worried that I'm not going to be as entertained as I am with some of the, I'm a, I'm a 90s comics guy. Yes. You, you, you may fault me for me saying that I like the stories coming from the 90s compared to stuff coming from the 70s. But this is the kind of storytelling that I actually enjoy. There's, there's stakes that are involved um, and there's actual tragedy that happens. It isn't something that just gets written off. So, uh, yeah, this whole Hulk- don't forget, there's a lot of classic stuff that came out in the 90s, too. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, I'm not saying this is what you read or not, but let's not forget. Sandman is from the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right there, you can't say that nothing good came out in that time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot to be a lot to be proud of coming from the 90s. Uh, and but yeah, no, this Hulk was, oh, this was yeah, so good. It was. It really was. All Thumbs right. up from me. So let's move on to... Iron Man number 92, Burn Hero, Burn, by Jerry Conway, George Tuska, and Jack Abel. Covered by Jack Kirby, Al Milgram, and Irv Watanabe. A ghost from the past comes back to burn Iron Man. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's Iron Man versus the Mettler, or the Melter. <laughs> the Mettler. <laughs> the Mettler. I, I don't know why I, I keep wanting to say Mettler. Like, I keep wanting to transpi- transpose the T and the L. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Melter. Uh, this is a villain I was... I'd never heard of. So, um, you know, the only note that I have here, I know we're going long here, so I'll keep it brief, but the only note that I have Editing. here. <laughs> and, gotta, and then years, years later, this will be put in one of those outtake episodes. I do. I like each it. Year. I like so it. So nothing goes to waste. Very good. So Iron Man is truly invincible. And the only way that I could tell you that is because the melter nails him like four times with whatever heat ray or melting ray that he has and melts the suit. But sure enough, Tony Stark, it's his fine. skin is just fine underneath. You know, he's got dripping metal coming off of his arm and legs, but <laughs> doesn't bother me. No, 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 no. Skin's, you know, my, my skin's just fine. Oh yeah. Uh, that's the fun part about the melter. Uh, he's one of those goofy set, uh, early silver age villains that when they come back, it's like, really? I mean, look at for one thing, the plaid pants, Oh my gosh! The two-tone green plaid pants. My Ugh. God! Yeah, dude. Stripes. <laughs> I do like though the ending of this issue where he sets up the uh, old ar- original armor to come at him like automated. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, Melter just like kind of loses it. Like it's a ghost. He's dead. He's coming back for me. Yeah, and really, that was the other note that I had here because the Melter. <sighs> In the right in front of Iron Man, Iron Man, I think, hits him with something or he dodges. I can't remember what happens here. And yeah, he hits him. He straight up punches him in the face. And he the melter flies out of his lighthouse window into the sea below. Okay, so you're thinking, oh, my goodness, 
you know, Iron Man just straight up almost committed involuntary, I would assume committed involuntary manslaughter because yeah. we don't go down and we check, we don't go down and check. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, you know, uh, Iron Man just kind of leaves his old suit laying on the floor and walks out the door. Uh, now, granted, I, we all know super villains are going to come back. And this is, de- I, from what I understand, this is not the last appearance of the Melter. Um, I'm, I'm certain it's not. I'm trying to look I, it up, but unfortunately, my thing is not working. I'll tell you because I just looked. The Melter Marvel. Not Larvel. I don't know what's going to pop up there. Um, Bruno Horgan. What a name. Uh, Bruno Horgan, his first appearance, according to what I see here, was Tales of Suspense, number 47, in November of 1963. Appearance of Death is Avengers, number 263, January of 1986. Oh, wow. Uh, So he didn't die here, ladies and gentlemen, as much as uh, we'd like to fault Tony Stark and his his savagery. (laughs) I think that's an illegal excuse by this point. Oh, so you he, knocked this guy out and of a window and he fell to his death? Yeah, but he was a supervillain. Oh, supervillain. Never mind. They'll, no, he'll be back. It's okay. He'll be fine. Guess how Guess how the Melter died. How? 1986. Um, Scourge? I, there you go. Yep. I knew I, I only had to give you a couple clues. You'd figure, you'd figure it out. They got rid of so many yeah. villains who weren't used for years. <laughs> Scourge just killed so many people. I have... I, when I first realized what was happening with Scourge... Uh, I had a an issue of Captain America. I think it was Captain America, and it had this guy on roller skates on the front. I cannot remember his name for the life of me, but by the end of it, he's dead because Scourge shows up. I, I think this guy has one more last hurrah against Captain America. I have to look this up, but he has this you know one more adventure, and then Scourge shows up and just wastes him. And oh man, I mean, Scourge was something else back, uh, you know, in the 80s there, just wiping these villains out left and right, and they were trying, I remember Captain America trying to figure out who in the hell it was. Uh, I, I want to say, I don't know if they ever actually finished off the Scourge story originally. I want to say, though, I remember an issue of Captain America where the Red Skull, I think it was the Red Skull was dealing with, like, different groups he had working for him, and I think Scourge was one of them. Okay. I don't right. know why, but maybe it caused confusion? Who knows? Who knows? Well, the Melter... I'm not a Captain America podcast, so I don't know those things. I'll ask Sentinel. <laughs> well, that's the Sentinel Liberty podcast. That's ask good. Him. Call in yeah. some resources. We like it. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm well, next. next yep. Here we go. Marvel feature number seven, The Battle of the Barbarians by Roy Thomas and Frank Thorne, covered by Frank Thorne. And, and here you had final issue of the series. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, man. Red Sonya here and... Let's see. Let me try this again. Red Sonya delivers a stolen page from the Book of Skelos to Caranthes. All right. Yeah, I'm, I put a little inflection on that. But Conan has tracked her there and wants the page for himself. And when they finally meet, there is a great sword fight where both get the upper hand at one point. Oh, now, yeah. That was an awesome fight. That was an awesome sword fight between the two of them. Yeah, this, this was interesting because, again, I don't... I haven't read too many Conan comics. Haven't read much Red Sonya. I know the characters. Clearly, these two have a history with each other. I think especially that that shows up even in the film, correct? Like Red Sonya is... Wasn't Red Sonya in the Conan movie? I don't think she was. And there was a Conan stand-in in in the Red Sonya movie. That's where I'm getting it mixed up. Okay. He wasn't Conan, but he basically was Conan. All right. So here we are. We got some high fantasy. And unfortunately... 
I read every bit of it. I just, I wasn't interested. <laughs> this is, this is the kind of storytelling that, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it's hard to dive into one issue and be invested in what's going on. Now, granted, we have some crazy stuff that's happening in here. Um, there's, they fight this serpent, uh, that's guarding these skeletons and really we kind of get a continue. It's one of those to be yeah. continued, you know? Yeah. It continues uh, an issue of Conan. Oh, and by the way, I just looked up IMDb. I thought it was Arnold. Yeah. Arnold is in the red Sonya movie, but he plays a guy named Calidor. So, so I guess not... for whatever reason, they couldn't use Conan. Okay. But they basically had him be basically Conan. I, okay. All right then. Uh, cause so... I think, yeah, Red Sonia, there's a, it's not exactly Red Sonia, but there's a character with the name very similar to hers that was in one of the Robert E. Howard stories. And they kind of took that and changed it and made it Red Sonia. So Red Sonia is, I think, I think Red Sonia technically counts as a Marvel character. Or at least a creative character. I'm not sure. But no, Dynamite's okay. been publishing her. So I guess she definitely, I guess she still counts as a, I don't know, it's very confusing. Well. <laughs> I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not too up on the exact thing of that yeah i mean okay let me just let me just say the story for uh for what it was i mean it was a neat romp you wondered how the, the sword fight between her and conan is the big thing like who's going to get the upper hand who's going to win at one point i think she has the upper hand then conan has the upper hand and then finally if just like we were talking about with our our uh, the good guys battling uh, they decide, okay, well, hey, let's let's not do this because uh, out of the blue shows up this winged creature. Uh, I don't even. I'm sure there's some kind of a history with this thing. It seemed like there may have been, but you know, that's it. And then the rest of it's continued in the next uh, the next issue of Conan, Conan 68, where are they going to be able to beat the big baddie that's flying in the air? I am going to say so, but uh, it's going to take probably the combined might of Conan, the barbarian and red Sonya to do it. Oh yeah, definitely. The fun thing about Conan back then is because it was a Marvel book, they use stuff in Marvel issues later. Like some of the villains actually popped up in like X-Men and stuff. Oh really? Yeah. Do you remember, I don't know how much X-Men you read from that time period, like the uh, eighties. A little bit. Do you remember there was like two or three issues? It was like X-Men 190 and 191 where like Manhattan was changed to like some kind of medieval world. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, and it ends up like Spider-Man's like crucified. Yes, yes. Uh, and who was the who was the ringleader of all of this? It was a woman, wasn't it? No, it was um, a guy, Colin Gath or something. Oh, okay. Like a, yeah, he's a Conan villain. Maybe I'm thinking of, the, did that, didn't something like that happen with... Uh, uh, later on in the '90s, at some point, but uh, or maybe I think, I think they, of Celine, that uh, Black okay. Queen, maybe. Oh my gosh, it was like they it, they transported into like this medieval world. Um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I don't. I, I've already derailed it enough. Tell me about the villains. <laughs> so who shows up in? Did, are they using characters from this uh, from this series in in that? So like they would uh, at the time actually Conan was counting was counted as part of the canon of Marvel. The Atlantis attacks annuals when they do like the backup story, like the history of the Serpent Crown. Mm-hmm. Conan's involved in it, like you know, because like Set was used in the Conan comics. Okay, all right. And well, also that's... another thing about this is if you notice when that guy, when the evil wizard is speaking, he's mm-hmm. using uh, names like uh, he's using names from Lovecraft. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because um, well. Co- Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft would use like uh, each other's stuff in their stories. 
Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, that's yeah. I didn't. I had no idea. Um, they. I could. I see what you're talking about though here, where there's. It, it felt. It definitely felt Lovecraftian at some point because we had this. You know, we the just all of the stuff that was going on in it uh, reminded me of it had some Lovecraftian elements. It seemed like uh, I saw where he was chanting, but. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to find. Uh, here we go. Uh, Riley and Yagath. Okay, Yagath, I've heard of. Yeah, and Riley. I'm. Not, I don't want to pronounce it. It's R apostrophe L E L Y E H is where mm-hmm. Cthulhu is lives. Oh, that's his domain. All right. And then, of course, what's the last thing he says? Set. Set. Yep. Yeah. So. It's this is that chanting page, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I I got you. See. I don't want to bag on this too much. <laughs> if you don't like it, you don't like it. Uh, yeah. And the, well, the thing is, is that when I was picking up comics in the, you know, late eighties, I guess is probably when you would say that I actually was able to start yes. beginning to pick stuff up off the shelf. That's when I started like 86, 87. I wanted to be immersed in the Marvel universe. And when, if there was something like this sitting there, which I don't know if Conan, I know red Sonya was around there in the late eighties for sure. Um, I don't remember, uh, Conan being on the shelf at all. Oh, Conan but, still was because I started buying the uh, magazine, the Savage Sword magazine. Oh, for a okay, years. yeah, I know the magazines were definitely there, but I, I wanted to be immersed in the Marvel universe with the superheroes. So if I was picking this up, I knew there was very little chance I was going to be seeing anything revolving uh, involving some of the current superheroes. Clearly, we know why because this is taking place a lot. At least it's taking place, I assume, way before. Um, oh yeah, this is ancient times. This is before. The fall of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Now, what if was it Conan versus Wolverine, or was it Conan versus Thor? Yeah, there was a what if there's a what if Conan versus Wolverine. Maybe a Thor one too, but definitely a what if Conan versus Wolverine. There also in the original what if series, there was like a what if Conan ended up in the yeah, and today yeah, like and that's it. a good one. Modern times, yeah. And there's also an issue of Marvel team up of uh, Spider Man and Red Sonja. And right now he came back. Isn't he part of a team like in current Marvel universe right well, now? Yeah, because because they have the rights for Conan again. That's right. He's part so he's of Savage Avengers. <laughs> so that would be stuff I would pick up uh, just because I'd love to see the fish out of water type deal. Oh, yeah. I'm entertained by that concept. And I, I actually probably should start reading some of that, especially uh, the Savage Avengers and uh, the Co- Conan series on the Marvel Unlimited, because, you know, if they lose the rights again, it's going to be gone. Yep. It'll be you won't have a chance to read it. And uh, actually, I was just thinking about it. I was mentioning this guy in my comics earlier the other day. Now, so many comics, of course, it's, you can never tell what's going to actually be worth something or not. I mean, it's like, well, who knew the first appearance of Harley Quinn was going to matter? That's right. But I'm not saying it will, but there's a chance for Savage Avengers because think about it. What if Marvel ever loses the rights? They won't be able to reprint them. They do not reprint that stuff. I have been you listening know? to there is a there's a podcast to listen to. Um, collected Comics Library. And a lot of times what they talk about is like they will get a trade uh, where, you know, it may reprint something that they had the rights to at that time, but now all of a sudden the trade is like really hot because now they don't have the rights to it. I think um, that happened with the essential Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Evan, I, I managed to pick up when it came out, thankfully. Yeah, uh, I remember Evan was telling me a little bit about that, and there, uh, like, you can't. Marvel versus DC. Uh, th- good luck. 
because you know yep. that those are two completely different comic properties and i think obviously that contributes as to why we don't in the 90s it was a bulk of those things i mean dc mm-hmm. would cross over with marvel all the time and i honestly don't know when the last one was if it was even in the last decade i think the last one might have been jla avengers oh well that was 2000 what 2007 or something or it was like three or four wow so yeah and, and i do have that thing i got i picked up actually there was the comic store near me at the time was having a black friday sale mm-hmm. it was actually funny i was just driving home from thanksgiving dinner late because i was waiting for traffic to go away because my parents live near a outlet store uh-huh. so you either gotta leave early or leave very late to get around the traffic yeah and as i'm driving by the comic store i worked at i saw it was open i'm like what the hell <laughs> so i pulled in and the guy who owned it was just like have a black friday sale and he had like that essential you know not the essential what's it called like it looks like one of those it's like one of those dc absolute versions okay okay for like half price dang dude so nice like, find jimmy heck yeah that, dude that is so beautiful yeah well so yeah needless to say ancient times red sonya is not going to exactly tickle my fancy but i think that as far as being dropped into the middle of the story you know i was entertained so we'll just leave it at that, I guess. There you go. That's good enough, at least. Mm-hmm. All right. And now we have Strange Tales, number 188. The Pincers of Power and Let There Be Victory by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, covered by Gene Colan and Tom Palmer. The final issue reprints Doctor Strange stories from Strange Tales 140 and 141. So, yeah, it's Doctor Strange versus Dormammu. And... Unfortunately, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, data from the Goonies does not show up. I kept thinking that, too, and they kept calling it Pincers of Power in my head. I kept saying, no, not Pincers of Peril. Pincers of Power. Pincers of Power. <laughs> pincers of Power! You guys, I'd be saved by my Pincers of Power! <laughs> uh, that's great stuff. Um, yeah, so, well, are we going to discuss... Dormammu and his unfortunate cover sh- shot here, right? <laughs> Stephen Strange's nuts. <laughs> and the thing is, though, it's you only see his elbow up. So, like, yeah, his, I mean, elbow down. So, like, his elbow to his hand is missing. It's like, oh, did he? It's not just punching Strange there. It's like it's almost like he's going into him. He's running through him. Yes, yes. I, obviously, I. It's, no, I shouldn't say obviously because it's it's kind of a stretch to say obviously here. But my guess is that he's got his arm bent back like behind his head maybe that's what he's trying for here there's no way somebody just forgot to put the other part of his arm on here although that is what it looks like and uh, maybe he's trying maybe he's doing some kind of bizarre wedgie (laughs) Uh, the agony of dr strange is not from Baron Mordo's backblast. It is the infernal wedgie. <laughs> they <laughs> melvined <Dormammu>. me. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, Doctor Strange, man. Doctor Strange, I, I didn't know what I was going to get into. You said this was reprinting um, 140 and 141. Now, any idea how old those issues were? When they, uh, so, so if they're reprinting this here, any idea when originally well, one forty one forty early six, early to mid sixties? Because Steve Dicko left Marvel like in sixty six or sixty seven. Okay, all right. So it's got to be before that. All right. 
So yeah, this was the this was definitely a final issue here, and we have uh, the battle yeah. between Mordo and Stephen Str- or Doctor Strange. And by the way, I really love the look of Dormammu. I, I, I for some reason I think he's got like one of the coolest costumes and coolest looks that I've ever seen. Yeah, I like the guy. I mean, yeah, he's he's a big, flaming pumpkin-headed looking guy, but uh, I've always liked the way that he was presented in any comic I've ever read. Yeah, speaking um, of which, by the way, did, in the beginning when he sends that little uh, knockout grenade to knock out the mindless ones, it looks like a pumpkin bomb kind of from the Green Goblin. Uh, from, yeah, it does. <laughs> it's just got different spikes on it. Uh, some weird, wacky stuff happening in here, and we got a crazy magic battle, where the, and Dormammu summons all these like dimensional gods to come and watch the fight. Uh, and so you're thinking that, you know, Doctor Strange may not walk out of this one as the winner. Uh, it, it, at one point, I think he gets, doesn't he get bested? And he's like, oh, hold on, I'm looking through the issue here real quick, and I've got my notes as well. Um, oh, no, no, he doesn't get bested. Mordo interferes. Yeah, Mordo interferes and pisses off Darmamu. Yeah, and, and he's like, no, 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 hold on now. Uh, and Darmamu's like, you know, he's not he's not having any of that. Um, so they begin the battle again, but Dr. Strange is like, he's tricking him. He's, he's on the old rope-a-dope. He's like making it look like he's kind of weak. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, and then uh, he t- it takes him out because he's not weak. Yeah. I mean, everybody was on hand here. Baron Mordo, Dormammu, all okay. uh, the ancient one. So I looked up real quick, by the way, this is from 65. Okay. All right. November and December. Uh, it came out according to Mike's amazing world. The issues actually came out. November 11th and October 12th, sorry, October 12th and November 11th of 1965. Got it. Well, it was a a fun battle to watch. I mean, we had these, which was, it was strange. Like, I didn't understand the whole, how are they fighting with these pinchers? Yeah, I never really got what the, they don't really explain them too well, what they're doing. No, they just sit on your hands, okay? I'm trying to, I guess, best way to describe Like, I couldn't figure out, it's like. Yeah, it's like if you put them on the other person's wrist, then their pinches don't work anymore and sucks their energy out. But I get it, dude. Yeah, I, I was had, very con- I I just knew that okay, if if somebody's got the upper hand, they're gonna tell me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. It was weird. Uh, I mean, so it was yeah. still a cool fight, but it was just like uh, I don't get the I don't get how this works though. Yeah, I like I like the fight, and then uh, yeah, Doctor Strange ends up winning, and then at the end. Um, at the end of it, of course, Dormammu goes back to his his uh, his dimension or wherever he goes. Um, he goes to his dimension. Yeah, back to his they home. basically do the same thing with Galactus. You cannot, you know, you must promise not to attack Earth now. Yeah, but there's this strange lady that that's watching it, watching that's the Clea. battle go down. Okay, this Clea? is before she had a name, obviously. Ah, uh, okay, because I'm looking for a name and I'm like, who is this lady? Now I get it. All right. So she shows up on the TV. Dormammu's like, hey, yeah, can't can't come to Earth anymore, but look what I got. <laughs> and yeah. we obviously cannot end the story there as the Doctor Strange will be showing up again. Catch him next time in his own series and in The Defenders. Yeah, because, yeah, this is uh, once Warlock left Strange Tales of 181, from what I checked, from 182 to 188, it's just reprints of Doctor Strange stories. Until it came back in the 80s with Doctor Strange and Cloak and Dagger. Ah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I I remember those issues. 
Anything else on this one? Nah, I'm good with that one. Okay. All, All right. right. I'm so finishing final, it out. Our final one. Yep, it's up to you. All right, here Take we us go. Home. Thor, number 253, Chaos in the Kingdom of the Trolls by Lynn Ween, John Musema, and Tony Dezuniga. Dezuniga. The trolls. That's right. That sounds good to me. The trolls have accidentally <laughs> dug through to the uh, another dimension. Where you know, lives, like you do. It happens. Okay. Um, where lives the bestial Trog? Trog, who has killed many trolls before they could seal the portal. Thor agrees. Sorry, I've lost my place. Thor agrees <laughs> to help Ulick defeat Trog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, two things I want to say. One, Trog looked pretty cool, though. That was a cool yes. design for him. Very different. It didn't look like the trolls at all. It looked, looked like something other. So mm-hmm. I like that. But the other thing is, I'm reading the troll, the thing of the trolls, and all I could, and the trolls are like, we were preparing to take over the world by digging and digging. And all I could think of is the underwear gnomes. <laughs> underwear gnomes. Park. Explain. Do you know the underwear gnomes? Do you know? I cannot. Nope. I, I I watched the first two seasons of South Park when they were new, and then ah. I stopped after that. <laughs> the underwear gnomes. They discovered them at some point in the last decade. I forget which, when exactly. But yeah, the underwear gnomes have a plan. This is where all our work is done. So what are you gonna do with all these underpants that you steal? Collecting underpants is just phase one. Phase one, collect underpants. So what's phase two? That seems like the troll's plan. Step one, dig. Dig. And step two was meh. And step three, conquer the surface world. Because uh, that. that's what it seemed like their plan was there. Like, I'm reading this, I'm like, what is your plan? You're going to just keep digging? Like, you didn't say, like, you, they didn't say they were digging for any particular purpose. They were just digging. Yeah, and guess what happened? Yeah. Walked into a different dimension and welcomed in this big, ugly troll. Oh my goodness! They're like well, that users, them right? They're like users from Fraggle they just, Rock. Yeah, they just do this thing because that's what they do. Right, they're dudes. Why do we build? Because that's what we do. Uh, well, one thing you can say about the doozers is they're at least, you know, they're they serve a purpose and they're nice. The Ulick the troll is a jerk, and his people are jerks. Yes, complete and utter jerks. Oh, one other thing I forgot about. That's right, the beginning of the issue where he knocks. Thor off that cliff into the fire. And I'm thinking, why is this? Like sh- this shouldn't be an issue. This shouldn't be Thor an issue. flies all the time and his hammer's in his hand. <laughs> oh, and I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, oh, maybe he lost his hand. Oh, no, his hammer's right there. Okay, oh, what's going on? What's and danger I, here? <laughs> I think at some point he's like, oh, okay. And then he just turns around and flies back up. It's like the cliffhanger for an issue of Superman. I have a gun on you. Oh, yeah, I forgot I'm invulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just forgot. Whoops. So, big highlights here. We got some great fighting. I mean, I mean, oh, this yeah. is just a slugfest all the way through this issue, pretty much. Um, we got Ulick and Thor fighting, and then we have Ulick and Thor tag team heading up against a trog. 
uh, and that, that's a that's a fun. So the the plot of the thing is this ruby eye that apparently will seal Trog into this other dimension somehow. I don't know how that worked, but it did. It uh, yeah, it, it's going to happen. Uh, so the key is they have to beat Trog back in order to. Uh, in order that part to, makes sense. If they close the door before Trog gets through it, then what's the point? Trog's trapped here. Yeah, that I got at least. Yeah, uh, there is a spectacular moment where Thor lets loose with a Thor doth say the nay, and uh, that, I imagine that's probably pretty commonplace back then. But hey, when oh, yeah. when when Thor says the nay, okay, you know it's it's on, um, and a fight ensues. So. What happened with Trog here? I can't remember specifically. Like, does he get put back into the? Yep. He they gets kick put him back, back to his. They kick him back to his home and shut the use the ruby to somehow shut the door. Mm-hmm. Just like the ruby is somehow supposed to save Odin or Asgard. I'm not really. Yeah, sure. that was that was the big thing. Like, you know, Thor needed this ruby in order to find Odin. Odin was lost, or he, he was looking for Odin, so he needed this thing. And Ulix says, "Man." I need this thing. That was the whole fight between them is because I need this thing to put this stupid troll back in. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the issue why Thor, the reason why Thor need the, ju- the jewel, I wasn't too concerned with because I mean, it's a multi-part story. So I figured it was explained in one of the other issues before, mm-hmm. but the Olek thing, since that's, you, I was kind of hoping that would be, at least be explained here. And that wasn't, <laughs> it was just kind of like, this thing will close the door. Well, how it closes the door. Okay. But how does it do it? It closes the door. Yeah, you don't see okay. it. Do Good not. See, all you see is Thor make the tough decision. I mean, it's a tough decision. He he makes a decision to throw the ruby. <laughs> I mean, all that happens, he throws the ruby at Trog while he's in the doorway, and then there's this huge explosion, and lo and behold, the door's closed. Yeah, so, and it's like, they never even established before how the jewel was supposed to do it. So, like... How do you know throwing is going to do it? What if like, he threw it and just bounced off his head? And he's like, dude, come on. It's got to go somewhere. Rocks at me now? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's got to go somewhere. Like, you would think it would just fit into this perfectly Indiana Jones-esque, like, uh, indentation on the wall. But nope, or you could just throw it. Or a spell they needed it for or something. That's what I was expecting. At least. At least. But, and then, no. for all his trouble, for this tough decision that he gets, that he has to make, uh, and decides, and you know, giving up this ruby, Trog and his troll brethren are very, very ungrateful. <laughs> oh, they are jerks! Oh, they start laughing at him because uh, they're like, "Ha ha!" You know, hey, thanks for helping us, but you're an idiot. I'm like, geez. And then Thor had. Of course, I think Thor may have been worried he was outnumbered. That's the only reason I can think he didn't just take the hammer and put it right inside Ulick's face. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. I would have done that. <laughs> but no, he walks off as the trolls just laugh him out of their lair. <sighs> Better luck next time, sucker. <laughs> Very yeah, the sad. trolls are jerks. No doubt, man. You gotta, I mean, the thing is, is that my guess is they didn't want to you. She started to sympathize with you like a little bit here because obviously Thor is. So by the end of this issue or by the end of the story, you cannot, you know, they wanted to make sure you're, you're not going to continue to sympathize with you because he is a jerk. He's oh, a yeah. troll. So, uh, anyway, I had a fun, I had a fun time reading some Thor there. That was, that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, 
And then we have a second parter here, which... Um, oh, yeah, that's right. The backup story. Yeah, which... Okay, I'll read this. The Weapon and the Warrior by David Anthony Kraft and Pablo Marcos, covered by Jack Kirby, John Romita Sr., Gaspar Saladino, and John... Ver- hey, there's that name. John Verport... John- oh, there we <laughs> Let's go. See if- Let's see if I can say it. John Verporten. Uh, so, was there a cover to this? Well, no, I think that's just the cover for the issue. I think you okay. forgot to mention that before, so it was just oh. the cover. Oh, okay. oh, you know what? I probably separated these two you, in my notes. You know, my no, bad. I did. No, that's actually on mine, so I did it wrong. I put okay. the cover after the weapon in the warrior. Got it. When the cover so, should have been after the first part, because it technically was the cover for the main story. Thor and the Storm Giant fight to a standstill. Realize they have no real reason to fight and part ways amicably. <laughs> and that's what happens. They fight, and then they go, why are we fighting? I don't know. All right, let's go home. That is like straight up third grade right there. Uh, I've I've seen that happen on, on the playground. I have seen that happen where these kids were just about ready to get into it, and then I think both of them decided it's not worth it and said, well, why are we fighting? Uh, I don't know. Let's go. Yeah. Um, baby but, Thor. He looked like a baby. <laughs> it looked like Thor babies. It looked like a version of, like, he should be teaming up the X-Babies. Yes. He was, this was some different art. Uh, I I had that in my notes. Like he looks really, really young and it's just, I don't even know if I recognize the artist here, Pablo Marcos. Um, I know the name, but I can't remember anything specific he's done, but I know that name. Okay. I recognize it. Okay. It it looked clean. It was clean art. Of course, I think I was looking at a recolored version too. So I don't know what the original stuff looked like, but regardless, it it was, you know, easy to follow action packed and, and them just fighting to a standstill. Like, you know, Thor figures out a way to beat him. And apparently the, the way that this giant draws his power is by, he has to be like touching the ground. But as soon as he's off the ground, he starts getting weak. Yeah, he's weak. So really you think about it, Thor's probably got the upper hand. Cause all he'd have to do is like, just take him into the air if he can. Uh, but instead they, you know, they kind of fight and fight and fight. And then they're just like, you know, they, they respect each other and, and uh, shake each other's hands and walk away. Uh, so why in the name of Hela are we truly battling? Yeah. The end. It's actually like a Rocky movie. <laughs> All right. App comparison, I believe. I mean, think about it. Him and uh, with the exception of like some people like Clubber, but like, you know, him and. Um, oh, my God. Apollo. Apollo. Mm-hmm. Even him and. Um, Dolph Lundgren's character kind of, you Drago. can see like Dolph, yeah, Drago has like some respect for him afterwards. Yep. All right. Well, before we finish up, where can people find you? Ah, well, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring up the old plugs here. So like we mentioned earlier, uh, I do a podcast over on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network called the Source Material Comics Podcast. Al has come over and graced us with his presence and helped us out through quite a few uh, quite a few stories, and we definitely appreciate that. Uh, we focus on some of the great and not-so-great comic book story arcs that are out there. We just recently recorded our 250th episode where I sat down with a West Virginia church pastor and discussed The Boys, Volume 1. Uh, you know, quick quick spoiler it doesn't go as as uh don't it doesn't go as you expect um mm-hmm. now I, also, I also do a show for the notable 90s comic book website theunspokendecade.com with my friends chris armstrong and dean compton titled unspoken issues where we pose a poll on the unspoken decade facebook page between two issues from the 90s and we let our facebook friends vote on which book we are going to discuss 
Our most recent episode that dropped Wednesday, the 13th of November was a tough one uh, because I had to work through some issues with Alan Moore taking over my favorite image character, Supreme. <laughs> uh, it was a rough one. I worked through it, though. I worked through it. Um, and then uh, both of these shows uh, and more are available over on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. We talk metal, wrestling, comics, TV, movies. Uh, we usually have an out, output of about three to four shows a week, sometimes more. Uh, just type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H and the word podcast into the old Google machine. You should be able to find us. We're at home on Spreaker, but just about any old podcast platform is going to have us there. So, Al, I cannot thank you enough for letting me sit here and, and talk some comic books with you, man. It was a lot of fun. Oh, this definitely was. That's why I like doing this, because this is just too much fun to do. Heck yeah. But yeah, thank you again for being on. And don't forget, people, links for all these things will be in the show notes. So just click on it or bring you right to it. Nice and easy. Before we end the episode, let's cover our feedback. This time we are talking about feedback for episode 111, where Brian and I covered the Eternals' secrets from the Marvel Universe. First of all, we have an email from David Spaforth. He entitled it, Editing the Marvel Universe. Hi Al, welcome back. I've missed you in my podcast feed for the past couple of months. Thank you. I mean, we still had episodes come out each month, but there was only one, so I understand that. Anyway, nice offbeat episode chronicling those Eternal stories. I was not a fan of Jack Kirby's 70s work at all, really. Most of his creations in that era left me a little cold. However, I did enjoy reading What If back in those days, so I remember this backup miniseries quite well and enjoyed how neatly it tied things together. But I must add one thing to your discussion of Mark Gruenwald's influence in piecing together the Marvel jigsaw. Without wanting to take anything away from Gru at all, I feel you've left out the efforts of one Roy Thomas. The first writer-editor who looked at all of Stan, Jack, and Steve's creations and saw how they could fit together. It was Roy, remember, who looked at those separate stories referencing the Kree Empire and the Skrull Empire, and figured there would be probably be some conflict there. And of course, it was Roy who picked up the minor Stan Jack castoffs, him and the High Evolutionary, and saw how they could fit his Jesus Christ Superstar-inspired Warlock saga. So yes, Mark Grunewell pieced together all of Marvel's disparate creations and mapped the Marvel Universe. But I got to give credit to Roy Thomas for doing the first draft. Looking forward to the next episode, David. Okay, I can see that, that Mark Roy did some work in that. I kind of still put, now maybe I'm wrong, but I still kind of put Roy more in that, for his work at Marvel, was more in that creator part. Maybe not as much as Stan, Jack, and Steve, obviously, but still more creating than Mark did, which was more of connecting. He kind of did a little bit of both. I will give your point there, that's true. Although I do still think that Mark did quite a lot more. But he did start it up, at least. So, that's true. Now we got that out of the way, let's talk about Facebook likes and shares for that episode. Thank you to Andy Handova, Mirko Mackey, Dan Ostroff, Jesse Starcher, Chris Bailey, Dean Compton, Paul Spataro, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, Hal Jordan, Clifford Alvarez, and Randall Andrews. And Twitter, thank you for liking and retweeting Brian Zeno, Suleiman Ayokunyu, we are Venomaniacs Podcast, Toasty, Last Sons of Krypton, David Finn, Into the Night, Connor McKenna, Ajak Eternals 2021, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Ghost Rider Podcast, Adeline Rising, Juan Pablo, Black Hole Sun, that's Sun as an S-O-N, not as an S-U-N, 
Doc Strange, Simon Ortiz, Dano Cosmic, Storm Rider V5, Ed Moore, Red Robot 96, Long Box of Darkness, Fior, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Fan Films Friday Podcast, Amethyst Chaos, The Eternals News, Heldad, SJH, Tex Captain, Michael, Ryan, Yancey Bree, Barnaby Wild, Lord Azoth, Comic Book Podcasters Social and Distant, Anthony Perconti, Tuck, Angelo, Zully, Salmon Percento, Ally of Karoka, Saltman, Mighty M, The Hammer Strikes, ran- Random Geeky Stuff, Tony Estrella, Alberto Nunez, Drew, The Savage Ape Man, Son of Dews, Scott Kinney, Demar, Carliffs, Danny Phantom, David Sogarni, Braden Silva, and Jasuza Official. That was actually a lot. I think it's the most I've ever had, so thank you all. And, of course, we have to finish off with thanking people who follow our been following our Tumblr blog. And once again, we are back to Tumblr names that are going to be a pain in the ass to say. <clears throat> Here we go. Thank you to Molin Alex Blog, hyphen blog, Zavin Auto Pence, Zavin Auto Pensy, Sparkly Auto Comics Bakery Bog. That's weird. <laughs> Drenic eighty four and Pontes seven seven seven. Well, if you want to hear your name said, or if you want to send in a comment, please send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. You can like and share or even comment on the post on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos when you go in the search box in Facebook. We'll pop up. Do the same thing on Twitter. We are at AdamThanosPod. Go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. I post stuff most days. You can always leave us an iTunes review. That would be cool. And, of course, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. If you like this show, please be sure to check out our other podcasts, too. Each are highly recommended if you enjoy the content of our show. Just on Twitter, look for hashtag thecollectivenet. And also, we're going to play a promo in just a minute, and that will be for one of the collective shows. Hey there. I'm sure you know about the Capes and Lunatics podcast, but have you heard about the Capes and Lunatics Sidekicks podcast? It's a fun home for classic and new reviews of just about everything. We have the Ultimate Spider Cast, where we cover everything Spider-Man. The Quantum Zone, where we talk the classic Marvel character Quasar and do deep dives on the cosmic side of Marvel. We also have Comic Capers, where we cover everything old and new in comics. It could be anything, any company, any decade. And we also have our Media Mondays, where we cover some kind of TV show, be it a... Arrowverse uh, current hits or our summer specials where we do reviews of uh, classic episodes of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff Angel. So, if you're a fan of pop culture and media, you should really check it out. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. We have now officially ended Warlock's series. So, from here, there's about a year of gap. Where Starlin, you know, is done with uh, with Warlock and with Marvel. Yeah. Um, there'll be a Marvel two and one issue. Not Mar- I'm sorry, Marvel team up issue in about six months, uh, where somebody else brings Warlock back for a Spider Man adventure, and then they convince Warlock, uh, convince Starlin to wrap up the storylines or at least most of them, 
in a, a satisfactory manner for a two annual team up. And I've always found it to be one of the most unlikely annual crossovers, the Avengers and the thing team up book with Spider-Man. Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. So this is cover dated November 76. March 77 is that Marvel team up issue you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is issue 55. Uh, in June 77, we have an issue of Logan's run, which has a Thanos backup story because he's really not touched on either by anybody. Right. And then we get those two annuals. Um, according to that article, basically he, I think Archie Goodwin was the editor and Archie talked to him about doing an annual and he did it and he did the first one. And he had fun with it. So he said, I can do another one because they also do kind of, end. they don't actually go. It's not like a two parter where they go right where they, uh, I mean, they do go into each other, but it's not like a cliffhangs. I mean, they could have had just the one annual and ended it there. Yeah. The villain just ran off because his plan was semi- was defeated for now. It's not the first time an issue would be a, a, a story be ended kind of abruptly without a full discussion of the villain's fate. Yeah. But he enjoyed doing it enough that he did the Marvel T11 annual. I got to look over that again. I wonder, if it, I, th- I wonder if it was just because that's what was free. And Starlin does like using Spidey because in a lot of his little, a lot of his Infinity like miniseries he would do, Spidey's involved, like Marvel The End, I believe, or it's like Infinity Abyss. Spider-Man's in those things. So okay. maybe, maybe he just likes Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. You do? I was not aware of this. <laughs> but yeah, so we are almost, and then after that, we're really not going to get anything from Adam or Thanos until the 90s. Yeah, and that's what has been my concept, is that Adam and uh, Adam Warlock goes through this saga that ends with the annuals. And then 15 years almost later, you get Infinity War or Infinity uh, Gauntlet. Yeah. Where Adam comes back. I mean, there are several appearances by them as like cam, like flashbacks or and minor uh, stuff. Yeah. Or because like people are talking about them, like like some of the uh, one of them I know is like some there's some Avengers issues like 262 and 263. But I'm pretty sure that involves like Nebula. Right. Because I believe she that's when she pops up and takes over Thanos' old ship. So it would make sense. The only thing I would say is somewhat relevant, because it's not Starlin, but it's the Marvel 2-in-1 issues, uh, 61 right. to 63, which is March, April, and May of 1980. Because that does, when we get to that, we it does explain the whole Warlock becoming giant thing, as well as uh, the prophecy about killing the High Evolutionary. Looking forward to that. And Sphinxor, yeah, I cannot say that name. Sphinxor. Thank you. He returns. He comes back. Let's just call him Sphincter. Sphincter. Plus we get early appearance appearance by her. A character that I am very intrigued by, but know nothing about. And mainly intrigued by because she seems to have some sort of connection to Warlock, but like not a connection that ever really matters to their stories. I'm just kind of curious what she's all about. Yeah, basically that's a good way to put it. But yeah, she's a character with a lot of potential. Just hasn't really been used that much. Which is too bad. She's mostly uh, in Quasar, right? She does appear a lot in Quasar, yes, later on. And uh, some issues of Alpha Flight 2. Okay. And uh, Fantastic Four. She also goes through a bunch of names. Oh, like Adam. It was him, and then it was Adam Warlock, okay. Yeah. It's Paragon, then her, and then Kismet, and then Chimera. 
Oh, is she the kismet that talks to Superman whenever he's dead? I think they're related. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it then for this time. John, people want to find you somewhere else. They want to hear the melodious sounds of your voice again. Where can they do that? My voice's melodious sounds can be found a variety of places on the internet. If you call 1-900, no, just kidding. Um, I do talk about Marvel comics every week. Maybe one day I'll even talk about these Adam Warlock stories again, but not anytime soon, because we're covering <laughs> everything Silver Age Marvel from the beginning over at Make Ours Marvel, which you can find on Twitter at Make Ours Marvel or MakeOursMarvel.com. Every month I release several episodes of All the Pouches, an image comics podcast, which you can find on Twitter at All the Pouches or on the internet at JohnReadsComics.com. Uh, every uh, Saturday morning, there is an episode of Super Silly Sentai. If you know Power Rangers, then you probably know that they have Japanese origins as the show Super Sentai. And uh, my son and I are talking about the very first incarnation of that show. He meets a Sentai Go Ranger. We do commentaries. So every uh, week we put out a, a video episode with our commentary over it. Or you can just download the audio separately if you have the video already. And um, that is on Twitter at Silly Sentai or on my website, supersillysentai.johnreadscomics.com. Um, I'm working on a Transformers UK podcast, which does not have any place to find the show yet, but you can go ahead and start following the Twitter account at TFUK Podcast. That's where I'm going to be talking about the Transformers UK comics and the cartoons, um, both versions of the story as they came out in the whole G1 era. Um, what else? What else? I also tweet. I tweet at John Reads Comics, and I tweet through the life of Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, at Let's Talk Wanda on Twitter. Um, and I think that's it. <laughs> okay, well, links to that's it. That's all. God, you're late. That's all. I know, right? So links to all those, including if the Transformers one's out by now, will be in the show notes. So go follow them there, click on them, and listen and enjoy. Yay. All right. That's it for this time. John, thank you again. We'll see you uh, the next time John will be here. We'll be doing the Marvel team-up issue. Looking forward to it. Spider-Man. Yay, Spidey. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.